Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the blue is the warmest color of extreme metal podcasts. I am the death metal guy, aka new brand of Marduk branded pudding cups available now at Walmart. And I am the black metal guy, aka 5am third earth on marathon. <laughs> I feel like 5am is probably like the ideal, uh, the ideal time to listen to Theragathon. I can assure you it was extremely unpleasant, but beautiful. <laughs> it's like a, like, like a too bright sunrise. Exactly, yes. Oh, shit. Okay. We got a show to do, I guess. So. Yep. Yeah, week <laughs> weeknight recording session for Terminus. Yeah, yeah, we had to, we had to push it back a couple of times, but here we are, and so it'll be, just be magical. I don't know, usually when we do, like, kind of time-constrained shows, I, I feel like we stay a little bit more on task. I think you know, it's I good to keep, yeah, we're keeping it tight. Yeah. All right, so, top of the hour news hour, uh, Terminus Co-Prosperity Sphere, a uh, couple quick little announcements. So, way back... In the beginning of this year, I sat down with a podcast called Cave Dweller Music. Well, I mean, it's not just a podcast, really. Their big thing is they've got a website where they do written reviews. They've got, uh, it kind of all grew out of a Facebook group where people are just kind of hanging out, talking shit about metal. Um, and I got in touch with those guys because they are uh, they are closely tied to us, actually, because Nick from Hessian Firm is uh, one of our mutual friends. So... Much earlier this year, I got to uh, jump on their podcast, uh, doing their kind of year-end roundup, and then it took like three and a half months for it to get out. But now it's out. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and then uh, Black Metal Guy, you actually listened to it, although I wouldn't recommend you listen I, to me. But <laughs> I, I listened to the whole damn thing. Yeah, um, uh, the Death Metal Guy is certainly on a tear. Uh, fully unleashed in the holiday spirit. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe the last, the last third maybe gets a little fuzzy, but uh, I think I think it's he's in he's in fine form and uh, and uh, the um, he's in fine form. Says some really funny shit. Uh, and the last part of the show, uh, I actually I got some good uh, just from listening to you banding about your endless with those dudes. I actually got a couple good sort of name checks. There's some. One of those dudes mentioned some Swedish uh, D-beat beatdown band that I definitely mm -hmm. need to check out, and uh, uh, or as we call it, D-beatdown. Um, and, <laughs> and he said something interesting about, about Sludge, too, which was, you know, like he was defending why he liked this new school Sludge, which is neither of our thing, really. But he talked about the, uh, the vocal performance, and I was like, okay, if you center on vocal performance... A certain, if you want a certain kind of expressiveness or like free quality in the vocals, I guess I see what you mean. Definitely, yeah. No, those guys, uh, they are into a much kind of broader array of stuff than we are. Uh, they cover a lot of a lot of kind of new school sludge and doom, a lot of post black, you know, a lot of the kind of hipstery stuff that we usually don't cover. Um, they're all great guys. They have serious opinions on music, so definitely, if you haven't checked them out, uh, go for it. Use this as your uh, gentle easing into the world of Cave Dweller using me as a link. <laughs> oh, and the material with Nick from Hashin at the beginning is quite good, too, I'm sure. Yeah, Actually, I, have, I haven't heard that part, but Nick is great on air. Yeah, he's been on their show a couple times. He's yeah. kind of a, a regular guest. So uh, mm -hmm. 
Oh, we'll have to get everyone in the same room at one point and just hash everything <laughs> out. <laughs> All right. And uh, in addition to that, uh, more obvious part of the co-prosperity sphere, uh, obviously we covered the Numa Hagion record last year, ended up pretty high on our year-end list. And it's only fair that we continue with our... Uh, with his newfound popularity, showing off one of his new projects that uh, isn't quite as well known. Uh, so, uh, R is comes from a background pretty heavily centered around like gore grind and noise grind, and uh, he is doing a new project. Well, I guess it's not too new, but there's a new record from it. Uh, he's got a project called Liquid Viscera. Uh, I believe it's him on guitar and vocals, and S, also from New Mahagion, on drums again. Uh, they just put out a new record uh, called... Uh, let me actually look it up, you know, because, of course, I failed to write that down. Uh, Cannibalistic Butchery. I probably could have guessed that one off the top of my head, but... Uh, <laughs> And it is straight up old school gore grind, uh, definitely in the the vein of something like Hemorrhage or maybe the first Regurgitate record. So uh, just to put a sour taste in everyone's mouths up front, I figured let's just listen to a whole track of it. I mean, it's it's gore grind. It's a minute and a half long. So let's check out uh, Postmortem Indignities. Bring back old school grind where you always uh, shout the name of your song title a few times in it. <laughs> yeah, that was that was cool. I liked that. Uh, definitely liked the uh, the the chug at the beginning. Um, and uh, I thought you know one thing that makes this good. I'm not the gore grind expert here, right? But in terms of like the uh, undertone of crust and uh, D beat and whatever here. Uh, the rule just always go for the nastiest intervals possible. Lots of tritones, <laughs> just tons of tritones. Uh, often in lieu of doing something else, they play a tritone, and it sounds yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, I think um, I think if you dug into some of the more old school gore grind stuff, you'd probably find a lot to actually enjoy because a lot of it is really a lot more crusty in retrospect um, than you would first expect. I think. 
uh, I think you'd really be into something like the first couple Hemorrhage records, uh, first couple Regurgitates, actually most of Regurgitates' discography, Old Dead Infection, uh, maybe even Impedigo, something like that. It's it, there's, right. a, there's a lot more variance to the genre than people think. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that was cool. All right, so uh, before we get into our roundup for the day, everyone's favorite part, the one where I repeat myself like the beginning of a Harry Potter book. It's always important to stay in touch with your internet celebrities, especially the most important in the world like us. And one of the best ways you can do that is by following me, the death metal guy on Facebook at Terminus Podcast or the black metal guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. Additionally, to fully support the endeavor of the show to destroy music journalism as we understand it and build a new throne out of their skulls, uh, feel free to subscribe to us on Patreon or Subscribestar. $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, and a mighty $5 and up gets you access to the most important group of friends of all, that is the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server, where you can share memes, share stories about life, and, you know, just laugh a little bit together with your buddies. $10 and up gets you a skull. <laughs> Cornering the skull market, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, dude, I gotta say, the, the Discord just over, like, the past month mm-hmm. is just really good now. It's leaps and bounds ahead. It's, you know, yeah, we, it's really... Pick, it's really like, yeah, it's really kicked off. You said something smart about it a while ago, which was something like, you know, before, like, the different people were talking to us, now they're talking to each other. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've, we've now hit the, the ant farm level, where we can merely sit back as benevolent dictators and watch them interact. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's actually really good. Everyone's sharing really awesome music that I haven't heard before. We've got representatives from all over the world in different scenes uh, who are showing us all kinds of stuff that we would never discover on our own. And the conversation is great, and the shit posting is even better. So five bucks and up gets you access to the most exclusive club this side of Les Legions Noir. <laughs> I'm getting so good. I'm getting that so good really, at pitching was, the Patreon. <laughs> that was pretty damn good. Um, oh, All also, right, but, if you listen to us on Apple, if you listen to us on Apple, write us an Apple review. We only have seven. Yeah, we need some more of those fuckers. Be sure yeah. to hit that like button, uh, smash that subscribe icon, and also hit the bell in the corner if you're listening on YouTube so you get the latest hot and heavy Terminus updates. I don't know. I, I I watch too much YouTube. I can do that shit all day. Let's talk. Let's talk about albums. <laughs> all right. Well, as usual, we have four today. I think next week we'll do our demo EP roundup thing again. Um, That'd be cool. Yeah. But um, right now we've got. Uh, I'm first up with uh, uh Teloitsukaski. Uh, on Hammer of Hate. Hammer of Hate is a uh, mighty and venerable Finnish underground label. I think they're now distributed through Cult Records, uh, which is, uh, yeah, spelled with a V. Uh, K-U-K-V-L-T. Uh, not the most creative <laughs> name in the world, but a great label. Um, I think it's a, I think it's like a sub-label of Hammer of Hate, right? I thought it was like the other imprint? way around. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I think, I think Hammer of Hate got absorbed into Cult, which has, like, they have got, like, a record store and shit. I bought a Ride for Revenge shirt from them years ago. Nice. Yeah. All right. So, oh, I guess I should up. tell people. Oh, yeah. Of course, it's Finnish black metal. 
Duh. Oh, yeah. You, you got to have one representative per show. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I've got the next two records, and I guess, uh, I don't know, maybe the, maybe the theme of today is uh, styles that we're suspicious of. You know? <laughs> um, so second up, I have uh, the new record by Grimmold uh, called The Dying Kings of Man. Uh, this is an independent release uh, which seems to be getting more attention from the dungeon synth world than the black metal world. And it's kind of a combination of both. At first blush, I thought it was like straightforward but really competent summoning worship, but further listening showed something pretty distinct and something pretty unique. And following that... We have the new record by Pupil Slicer, titled Mirrors, out on fucking prosthetic records, of all things. I never thought I'd have a prosthetic album on this show. <coughs> so, uh, Pupil Slicer is, uh, I guess, part of a growing genre of uh, high-minded, uh, conspicuously arty metalcore stuff. Is that how you would describe it? I guess, yeah. I It's... I- I'm probably we're probably not tuned in enough to to the hardcore scene to know exactly what it is, but it's sort of I guess you could say yeah, grinding mathcore. But if I had to put that in a box, I would say metalcore. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I think yeah. we're we're gonna have to come it's up something. with a, a term for this kind of thing. Yeah, I was thinking you know the name is presumably some sort of reference to what is it that surrealist movie I've never seen. But what if this band was a gore grind band themed on high school and it's Pupil Slicer. <laughs> you're like a really exaggerated te- you're like a really pissed teacher <laughs> B- blood fills the teacher's lounge <laughs> alright um, so next up is uh, a pick from me Sertraline uh, which sounds like a pretty girl's name but is also actually an antidepressant um, this record is the streetlight was all we needed on Hypnotic Dirge Records. Now, as soon as you heard me say that album title, you might think, "What is what what what's what's going through his head?" Um, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, but what what this is, I suppose people would call this post-black or black gaze. I hate almost everything like that. I think that this is a really really good example of the style that sort of avoids a number of the pitfalls. All right, we have our first record of the night. And you're going to pronounce it. Seelen Vaholinen's Teloituskasi. Teloituskasi. Skaski. Yeah, Teloituskasi. Oh, yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah, Seelen Vaholinen, I looked that up back in the day. I'm pretty sure that means Soul Reaper in Finnish. Uh, so you get your, uh, your like, Seelen, presumably Germanic loan word, like, Sela, like, soul, spirit, mm-hmm. and... Soul, I guess soul rather than spirit um, in German. Um, but uh, their logo is, of course, a uh, very destructive Grim Reaper. Um, and Seelen Vaholinen is a band that is, I think, not that well known outside of people who pay a lot of attention to Finnish BM, probably better known in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. But they've been going for quite a while at this point, probably... Uh, close to a decade, um, if not a decade, um, and have a have a distinctive sound. This band was uh, 
kind of an important band for me, which has nothing to do with the album at hand, but just in context, it's like back in, I feel like we've talked about how like, you know, shit was really desolate in the late 2000s, early 2010s, right? And so mm -hmm. I remember there was a couple years where I was getting, spending more more time like digging more into like industrial and techno stuff where there was a lot of exciting stuff happening then and like, you know, you know, back into more old goth and hardcore and whatnot. And I was still listening to black metal, but I wasn't as like totally jacked into it. And then at a certain point, some factors converged and in like the winter, in the late fall or like early winter of 2014, I got back into it really hard. Um, and, uh, I think the winter also hit really hard and early. Um, and there was my friend got me into all these bands that I'd sort of passed over before. Like I'd, and, you know, I don't know whether it was just ignorance or it just wasn't clicking for me, but a lot of the Finnish bands and a lot of other bands that are kind of at the root of the stompy, epic, more sort of martial-sounding sound that's big now, I just had passed over completely, right? So at that time, I was listening to a lot of Horna and a lot of Seelan Vaholinen. Uh, Horna, of course. Classic Seelan Vaholinen, newer. Um, uh and one thing that allowed me, I remember having the kind of old death metal underground style, or I guess anus, rather, anus style suspicion of the Finn Black thing because of the melodic hooks, right? And mm -hmm. so what, one thing that sold me on this band was that uh, the melodic hooks were really compelling. I found, oh shit, I actually really like these. And there was just a really nasty sort of very second wave vibe to a lot of it. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so I spent a lot of time. I listened a lot to the Sivu uh, uh, Desta, oh, Jesus Christ, um, demo compilation. And then I kind of <laughs> lost track, but I sort of had a general idea of where they're developing, but uh, wanted to check back in. So, what did you make of this? Uh, so, actually, I have never heard this band before you. I've seen the name bandied about here and there. Mm -hmm. Um. <clears throat> And I knew that over the years you've touched on them a few times saying that they're a band that I would like. Mm -hmm. um, and I did end up uh, really, really enjoying this album. Right. Um, but not not really for the reasons that I expected. Because, mm -hmm. I, you know, at this point, especially for us because we talk about it so much, when we talk about Finnish black metal, we are primed really aggressively to think of a couple styles of black metal, um, which is basically, you know, Sargeist or Horna, either really melodic or like really stompy kind of martial punky stuff. And there's definitely seeds of both of those here, but I would say uh, now that I'm finally at a place where I can recognize it, this reminds me a lot more of kind of nineties Swedish black death stuff. Uh, a lot of Sacramentum, in particular, uh, Dissection, Dawn. Uh, the closest thing I would compare it to that we've covered on the show would be the uh, the Mork Grinning record from last year that we both really enjoyed. Uh, so it's, it's really aggressive and sort of refreshingly unadorned music, but there's a lot of variation within it. There's a lot of different kinds of songs that are all unified by a certain aesthetic core and you know it's it's the kind of record where <clears throat> i think i've talked about this before on the show where it's like the distinction between being a black metal fan and just liking good music is everybody loves day mysteries dom satanas because it's just like objectively genius 
Right. Something like this, listening to this and enjoying it is what marks you as, okay, this is something I'm really into. Because this would breeze by any sort of, like, fair-weather listener. But for people that are into this kind of music, it's got just a, a real, real broad range of things to offer. I think that's a good point. Yeah, for sure. Very easy for someone. I man, I you can write the reviews in your head, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, the people being like, "Oh, it just sounds like black metal to me," uh, and uh, but yeah, it's um, yeah. So I think you're absolutely right about the Swedish thing being much more prominent here than it is in most other Finnish bands. Um, uh, I think that's something they incorporated more over time. Uh, and it definitely sets them apart. Um, as far as the Finnish school, I would say that the root is... I, I think I, I basically see it the same way you do. It doesn't really fall in neatly with expected ideas of it. But I would say mm-hmm. almost like the going idea of the Finnish sound now just doesn't include Horna. It just That's is true. this kind yeah. of pastiche of Sargeist and Satanic Warmaster. Right? Mm-hmm. And wh- when we, we gesture to it on the show, that's often what we're talking about. But this band is drawing from Horna and Goatmoon, right? Are the kind of roots for this style, which are the more. Uh, one of our patrons used the word kind of street to denote that kind of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, a little less forest. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, the, I think it's, it's coming out of this kind of alternate wing of Finnish black metal. It does sound very Finnish. Um, other bands that it might be similar to, uh, which I got into around the same time, would be uh, Witzaus or How to Cameo. And like this band, they all have this kind of folky undertone at times in their playing. Like, you can sort of tell there's Finnish melody in there, but it's all uh, lots of kind of sinister-sounding black metal riffing. And often mm-hmm. much more, you know, more involved, maybe, than your typical minimalist kind of... Uh, uh, SWM type stuff. Yeah, these guys, <clears throat> these guys like to play with a lot of kind of conventional second wave ideas, but mm-hmm. develop the melodies a lot further than they typically were back then. Yeah, that's true. Really long riffs, often, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, do we want to uh, throw them a throw them a sample? Yeah, sure. All right, so um, this one is Neutavino. I think this is the sixth track on the record. This is kind of a uh, fifth track. Kind of a, uh, here is a stand, really good standard Seelenvalenen song. Here's what it sounds like.
So there were four riffs, and then they go back <laughs> to the first riff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I really like the way they do <clears throat> the third riff in that sequence, which is a mm-hmm. a very elaborated kind of satanic warmaster riff or something. Um, and of course, I like, and I'm gonna come back to this on some of my samples the the twin lead guitar stuff, which is straight out of the Gothenburg school, just like simple big harmonies, but they are applied really well. You know, there's. It's interesting because this this music has a lot of ambition and a lot of restraint at the same time. Yeah, I think it's I think their thing at this point might be so it, early Sealand Vahonen sounds a lot like the stompy. So there you get the stompy part that, as you say, sounds more like Satanic Warmaster or more like the standard Finnish sound. You get those sort of heroic sounding chords. Really great riff in that it starts kind of more angry and then lifts up at the end. Um, mm-hmm. So you get your kind of, uh, you get your really sort of uh, noble sounding epic part. Uh, but like, um, so they used to sound more like that, like sort of, uh, and and now they have more of this, yeah, kind of Swedishy stuff. And I think maybe the conceit is they're kind of working with a framework as far as how songs go that's from Finnish black metal. Like the idea of just like very straightforward riff, riff, riff kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But they're you they're filling that in with much more ambitious styles of writing. Yeah, no, I uh, I wrote in the notes, and uh, I mean, you kind of echoed that that this is this is the kind of record where I, I could kind of criticize the song structures for being they. This is very much we've used this term on the show before. A let me show you my riffs album. <laughs> it is yeah, a riff. That's your term. And then another riff, and then another riff. It is it is a sequence of straightforward ideas, and there's no effort made to transition or blend them apart from, you know, kind of intuitive songwriting processes. But that the sort of bluntness of it, and the sort of like blocky way it's constructed, I think works really well, especially because I I think it fits with. A little bit weird to say, but the production style of this record, mm. uh, which is very, very clear and sharp and sort of dry in like an old 90s death metal way. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's our riffs. You're going to hear them perfectly. You're going to hear these melodies etched out on sheet music in front of you. You know, it's just a very different quality from most you know, semi-raw black metal, and I really like that. You know, that initial lead, uh, I really like, yeah, so uh, definitely see that. It's sort of a refusal of ornament. Nothing's being gussied up. And it's kind of, you know, like when a band is really good at writing riffs and arranging them, sequencing them, yeah, that blocky kind of quality becomes, I think, more like a self-imposed restraint, constraint, Mm -hmm. right? And they're not even really using verse-chorus-type stuff like SWM does, right, where there's kind of a hook. So it really just is, like, the sense that there is a row of riffs and none of them is that much more important than any of the others kind of is the whole thing. And uh, you, and yeah, the game is, can I write a riff that transitions, drops seamlessly into the next riff? And instead of writing them in the same style, instead of, like, continue, like, like, Totenvok does that, but with um, all just super epic riffing, right? Mm-hmm. This it's like can I write a riff that drops into the next one and changes tonality, and changes yeah style? every 
Well, I mean, it's like you always say, you, you always like a, a record where every riff feels like it can, it naturally is demanded by the one before it. Yeah, and it's pretty cool to be able to pull that off uh, while sort of changing up the style a lot. Um, so, yeah, that that's cool. And, you know, I really like that the, the way they rip those speed metal things. The, the, the thing at the beginning, right, that could be a dissection single string riff. Yeah, but well, it's also... You can, but they can hear that dissection listens to a ton of thrash. Oh, yeah. And I think the, mm -hmm. the thrash and the old school heavy metal is really important mm -hmm. here. Actually, that, yeah. that riff at the very beginning of the song is super similar to some of the riffs off uh, Dub Bucks, Rus Panad Visay, um, which is it was something we need to investigate more, you know, because we talk about a lot of like Russian and Ukrainian black metal, but we haven't talked so much about the stuff that's blurring the lines a little bit between. Uh, you know, the, the really melodic ornate stuff and the more just like aggressive kind of militant stuff. So that's that's mm -hmm. something we probably need to investigate more. Yeah, I don't know Dubuk well at all. Some of their stuff I've heard I don't like at all. I think it's more kind of like Nocturnal more to me, but I know they have more thrashy stuff too. Yeah, yeah, that's the later stuff. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> yeah, I assume this is a case where this next sample... Uh, you just knew that I was going to pick it, right? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. This is clearly one of the big anthems on the record, yeah. Yeah, so this is a track called uh, Varga. But you know, I was almost like, dang, he picked the cool one. Oh, it's... You know, it's, he picked... Yeah. It's awesome. It, it is yeah. a... Uh, well, I mean, but this is also something we've talked about before where it's like... We're, I mean, it is like one of the big anthems of the record, but not in the way that you would think from a, a French black metal band. What it is is, like I've said before, a... On a couple other reviews, it's like a U.S. power metal song smuggled in through kind of Euro black metal convention. This is mm -hmm. this is more a heavy metal song than a black metal one in a lot of ways. And that's kind of a thread that follows this whole record, which I think is really interesting. And they pull it off really tastefully without ever, you know, gesturing towards heavy metal, you know. Uh, so, yeah, uh, yeah let's just. <laughs> listen to uh listen to the first half from the beginning
ladies and gentlemen, I bring you, for the first time, recognized for what it is, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater soundtrack black metal. <laughs> okay, so for those of us who don't know the Tony Hawk Pro Skater soundtrack, what do you mean? Oh, uh... Damn, really? Oh shit, you're you're only a crypto gamer. I always forget. So yeah, the Tony Hawk. I was only interested in games about like swords. I, if I wanted to skate, I'd go do it. Oh well, I've never been very coordinated, so I had to use the game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, the Tony Hawk Pro Skater soundtrack uh, was always a a great avenue into uh, kind of entry level punk or. Uh, you know, pop punk, a little bit of hardcore here and there, a little bit of more metallic stuff, and then later on some hip hop and some other stuff. Um, but it's always defined by just being, you know, absurdly high energy, really catchy. I mean, I have to help Bam Margera find all the letters to skate, and this is the soundtrack that I need for it, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I mean, that that relates to the idea of this kind of being a street sound for black metal. Right. More. Oh, more yeah. Urban, I mean, more. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I was talking while I was playing. It was like there, there's parts of that. And it's interesting because it's the parts that are also the most Iron Maiden that are very close to like a complex Pennywise riff or something like that. It definitely it's got an essence of like old Cali skate punk in there, uh, sort of like directly in a way. It's, it's very strange to hear, but it works great. I always resist your Cali skate punk comparisons. Like, you know, I like just because nobody else takes that seriously. It's like, oh, uh, well, I mean, you're an avowed Pennywise fan. I, yeah, I think it's good, but I don't take it seriously. Um, you know, like the um, I, I feel like they're I feel like Pennywise is for sure. Pennywise and early, you know, offspring and stuff are for sure way closer to hardcore bands than people usually think. I mean, mm -hmm. you know what it is? It's like they have heavy metalisms in them. That's true. Right. I, I but think I, that and is I feel like a thing that I feel like different. I feel like tonally, tonally, like these riffs are very different. Like tonally, they have the they sound Swedish, as you said before. Um, yeah, no, they definitely do. Well, I mean, I mean, the most obvious weird one is that outstanding kind of you know dropping into the kind of punky heavy metal oh riff my. where. Where yeah. it's like, which is a fascinating, the way it's constructed, you know, because the one of that riff is a pause, you know, it's, it's always, it's only picking up on the following, <clears throat> excuse me, the following yeah. quarter yeah. note, which is such a, a weird, there, there's an amazing kind of syncopated effect there that you would hear a lot in some of the more sophisticated kind of pop punk bands, the, that, but it's very hard fair. to think around. That's fair. That way of structuring it, like the and, and maybe those kinds of chords or whatever. Yeah, you could hear in like a skate mm -hmm. punk band for sure. But also, um, the big thing is just that the crazy scale run in that riff, the da 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 da, which is straight like Killers or Number of the Beast era Iron Maiden. It's it's so wonderfully on the nose and so weird to hear in a black metal song. It's just like as soon as I heard that, I was just like totally charmed. And but the idea before that, so this is a place where they do sort of engage verse chorus ideas, but you get like a four part, it, that's again, it's another four riff series, and each one stacks. You get your first speed metal riff, you get your second speed metal riff, and then um, uh, you get that kind of elegant contrapuntal thing, right? It gets mm -hmm. stompy and it gets more like Bach, you know, like da 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 da
And then, yeah, it drops into that thing you were talking about. And that that's also a technique in sort of more pop or rock songwriting that is good. Like in uh, Living on a Prayer, Living on a, yeah, they, uh, there's a fake chorus. Yeah, yeah, I, I like it. I like it when you have the pre-chorus. That's the pre-chorus. Uh, it turns off. out the pre. It turns out the chorus is the pre-chorus, and then it gets really epic. Um, <laughs> just when you think they can't crank it up anymore, right? Um. So, as far as yeah, as far as the maiden and skate punk proximity, you've been pointing to. I think the sort of the piece of the DNA. That is, is is we're sort of we we haven't touched on yet is like RAC mm-hmm. in the Scandinavian tradition, and you know it's a uh, the mate a lot of the maidenisms are getting routed through this sort of uh, Scandinavian kind of RAC sound, which has a lot of new wave of British heavy metal, but it's played in a kind of different way with like more separated notes, different guitar effects that you could articulate could kind of generally like a punk kind of simplicity to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, that is a thing that's, you know, fundamental to the Finnish black metal sound in general, is that, is that yeah. template, which, you know, it has origins probably back in Swedish Viking rock bands like Ultima Thule, uh, mm-hmm. but, um, which is just, I mean, that's entry-level knowledge. But, uh, but yeah, so there's... Uh, so often when people talk about the punky element in Finnish black metal, that's what they're really referring to, right? The stompier, yeah. the, the simple song templates that have kind of relationships to rock ideas with verses and choruses, the, the anthemic quality, the, the sort of the epic melodies, uh, all, that sort of, the sort of tough vibe. It, it's all, there's, sure, there's, uh, there's hardcore in it too, but like, it's a lot of this sound. Um, mm-hmm. And so... We've gestured to that before on this show as an influence, but since I think that's a a big influence here for especially the lead-oriented sound this band has, weirdly, it's almost like the leads are more oi, right? Um, yeah. So uh, instead of playing you a band in that tradition, I figure since this is Turnus Extreme Metal Podcast, we might as well play you Shatrug playing in that tradition. So this <laughs> is... Uh, this is uh this is Shatrug's uh, Finantum. The interesting thing is that you can tell it's his guitar style here, which mm-hmm. is a signal that there should there may be a little bit of black metal creeping into it, but really it's more just shows how similar the styles are to begin with and like the influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So um, let's go to uh yeah we're gonna check out Finantum's Strike with Iron Hand as a sort of primer on basic Finnish BM oi language. All right.
you can basically hear that with Shatrog, right? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it, it's it's like he took the the Sargeist scale and moved it up the fretboard a little, so he's hitting mm-hmm. some like chromatics in the same general like fingering patterns he's used to. Yeah, it's it's funny because like the 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 in, the like counts on the intervals are the same, but the the key isn't. Yeah, it sounds a little more. It sounds yeah, it sounds less vampire and gothic, right? More kind of just muscular, closer to the tones you get in Zeelandvolanund, right? Um, yeah, and uh, you can hear that specific way of playing leads. It's like Iron Maiden played a little bit slower with more spacing between the notes and a lot of I think delay reverb. Mm-hmm. I mean not yeah not delay right reverb or something. It's um, and it it's you know it's this feel that in some way it's like. You can hear how this relates to, like, I don't know, Sham 69 or Cox Bar, especially in the rhythm department, but it's a pretty different style, right? What this really is is just extremely drunk, punked-out heavy metal. Right? Oh, yeah, I mean, and that, like, that lead, that little winding... Dun, 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 yeah. Dun. yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's like, yes. a that's a kind of lead that is distinctly RAC. Like, it's a, it, that's, totally. like, one of the most specific parts of the style is that kind of lead. Yeah, it's it's and it's one way the style is sort of like divorced from, I guess, regular punk ideas of good taste, right? And it's closer to <laughs> sort of working class sort of idea of shout along pub song, right? Definitely, it's um yeah, uh so yeah, it's and you could hear that also that style where there's like four riffs and each one gets more and more epic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, also, also one, just one must say the the the, the vocals have a, a certain charisma <laughs> because they're drunk as shit. Drunk <laughs> as shit. <coughs> uh, all right. Um. So anyway, so that's that's a comparison. I think that's that's a structuring undertone for this band and for how some of the heavy metalisms figure into them. I guess Man of War also huge reference point, right? You know. Yeah. 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 I I think that. I think a whole suite of uh, early '80s heavy metal is very important. Mm-hmm. All right. So, next sample. All right. Um, last track of the record, Usvan Tuoma, and this is the part uh, that has almost become a terminus standard, where I talk about how Sons of Northern Darkness is so much more important a record than anyone gives them credit for. Um, Immortals' final record before their first Blake breakup, which also should have been their last, but whatever. Uh, I don't acknowledge any of the albums after that. Um, so I think there's a lot of black metal bands nowadays that are rediscovering late Bathory and how to, you know, because there were, I mean, obviously when we were like in high school, we were plagued with shitty folk metal bands that were patterned at least in a great part around, you know, Nordland or something like that. Mm -hmm. But now I think some of the stink of that has worn off and people are able to go back to it and find ways to recombine it with uh, traditional black metal ideas. And I think that what it results in is a real expansion in the kinds of uh, guitar textures and the sort of palette of kind of rhythmic but more importantly pacing ideas that emerge uh from that kind of music and it's really clear on this last song which kind of stands out in particular as being very distinctly bathory very distinctly late immortal uh just kind of apart 
from the rest of the album. It's it's obviously the epic closer, but I hope it's something that they explore some more. Uh, so right. let's uh, let's go about a minute in and see what happens. So far, we've talked about a a lot of different influences on this music and how there's there's a lot of different kinds of songs, a lot of different kinds of riffs, but it's all the way at the end of the record, and this kind of emerges out of nowhere. And it it's interesting because it recontextualizes some things about the rest of the record. You know, you listen to this, and then you loop back to the beginning. You start hearing some of that, like, really buried Bathory uh, a little bit clearer. And I think that it's just a, it's a really interesting move to close on that note. And it's really unusually sophisticated for the record in, you know, in the most traditional sense of the term, not to say it's unsophisticated music, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What, what do you make of that one? Well, it's got more blending between the parts, right? As you would talk yeah. about, right? It's more, yeah, it's more of a conventional, yeah, epic black metal song. Um, yeah, I like that a lot, man. Those first, when those first big sort of blocky chord, the the big chords come in, there's really cool, you know, he, he does nice shifts with the bass note. It just sounds, that sounds extremely vast. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe a little bit, it's more rocky than Immortal. It's got like a kind of, um, which makes me think, which connects with Bathory. 
and with all yeah. the other kind of Rocky influences on there. But it's got a kind of like... Um, I, immortal often feels vast, right? But it feels a little bit different from the sort of vast grimness in Immortal. It's a little yeah, more like, yeah. That that first riff is almost chill, like powerfully chill. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, I mean, I will say if you want to listen to the uh, the originating version of this song, you listen to the last track off Sons of Northern Darkness, uh, Beyond the North Waves, which is. Mm has a lot of things that are extremely similar to this one, including that same okay. sort of like a watery arpeggiated line that emerges. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big part of either that song or Antarctica. I can't remember ba- off the top of my head. Oh uh, yeah. Immortal also uses that elsewhere. It uses, I, I, I it uses it a lot on like things like that on at the heart of winter, whatever. Um, yeah. 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 But I hear for sure the sort of Bathory immortal convergence you're talking about. Um, and I think it makes sense. It's interesting how much you can connect both of them to this sort of uh, rougher Scandinavian street metal tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, as opposed uh, I to like that. Che- cheesy folk metal slash arena arena heavy black metal, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, cool. Well, no, that part's great, and that's a good. And you know, that actually segues well into. Uh, into mine. I picked the track before it. Um, I, I think th- these actually go p- together pretty well. It's like you would expect this. We've talked about the range. You would expect this record to be, you know, uh, pretty just uh, just going all the way through. But mm-hmm. in the track before it, there's, there's also just this big kind of atmospheric space. Um, and... Uh, this song, it translates as Drowned. Uh, by the way, also, if you're curious what Vario translates as, it's uh, because you see that all the time in Finnish black metal, it's Shadows. There you go. Um, <laughs> but um, it's, it's one of the list of Finnish black metal words. Um, but um, <laughs> but uh, this, this one's called Drowned. Uh, and when I was younger, I would have like skipped this track. I think I would not have even liked the riffs particularly. But I, th- I really enjoy it, and I found it sticking in my head. It's got a very particular mood, so let's, let's check it out. Yeah. 
you know, like, you wouldn't really expect an album like this to attempt to capture a kind of melancholy boredom. <laughs> right? Not that yeah, it's boring, yeah. but that it evokes a certain kind of, like, dreariness at the beginning. <laughs> Finish black metal ennui. Yeah, it is very ennui. You were comparing that riff to Life Lover. Yeah, that first one. Um, yeah. yeah, that's very life lover. It's. <clears throat> I think there's a there's a kind of niche of like a certain era of like DSBM, and I, I was trying to come up with like a, a term to describe, and I think it'd be like sort of like sumptuous USBM or sort of like Dionysian U, uh, a DSBM, yeah, yeah, yeah. where it's like I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm sad. But I, I'm very aware and kind of <clears throat> like being romantic about the sentence. I've had too much red wine, and now I need to hold the empty bottle while I walk alongside the river, sort of thing. Yeah, you're kind of, <laughs> I yeah, kind you're of get into that. in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the kind of vibe that I get off of some of this. It's like it's 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 melancholy boredom, but it's only boring because you're so above everything around it. And yeah, <laughs> I, I say it without irony. I love it. I love that. Yeah, it's a it's cool guy likes a cigarette boredom. Oh yeah, very, very. You, you know, it's so yeah. I the, the my story for this is it's Sunday afternoon in Helsinki. You're still hungover and you've got to take the motorcycle to the shop. You're stressed about work tomorrow, but the early spring sky over the harbor is beautiful. And as you take the bus home, seething with humiliation, you stop off at the pub to catch up with Ville and the gang. And for two hours, everyone is just stoked to play creator on the jukebox. <laughs> that'll, that'll have to uh that'll have to enter we, we need to do a whole compilation of terminus short stories at one point because i gotta do my like uh, you know my my cyborg wizard and uh the mecha spider from the spire record and this oh yeah one. that was a good one yeah yeah for sure that's that's true um but yeah so and obviously you know switches on a dime into one of the most furious swedish parts on the record and mm-hmm I was saying when we listened to it, that really reminds me of the latest Mark Gritting. Yeah, yeah. Well, when they do that, when he does that, uh, that sort of angular, uh, kind of oddly harmonized uh, twin lead thing. Yeah, and also just like they do a lot of high contrast dramatic change ups. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. No, there's. I, it's interesting. <laughs> the last few tracks on this record get a lot more. I don't want to use the word experimental because that has this whole host of implications along with it, but within the context of the band, it feels like they're playing a lot more outside the box on those last few tracks. And I think there's a lot of ideas they can fold back into uh, the main sound. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, cool to hear how this band has developed since I first heard them. Uh, this is a great record. Uh, we, I think we both approve. This is a little one gash, and you're listening to Terminus. Well, hey, a black metal guy. I heard you love Dungeon Synth. Are you excited for the oh! next segment? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, man. Oh, man. Okay. Now, to be fair, to be fair, this isn't all Dungeon Synth, but it's a lot of it. You know, it's it's an easy 50%. It might actually be more, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say Dungeon Synth is the basic format. I mean, like... Yeah, people say Dungeon Synth with black metal elements, or black metal with... Like, 
I, most of the time, this is sort of... Uh, it sort of seems like they're either structured like dungeon synth songs that have blast beats and screaming in them, right? Which I think would include summoning. Or mm -hmm. they're black metal songs that have dungeon synth interludes. Yeah, uh, and I think this is the former. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah, this is Grimmauld's The Dying Kings of Man. So when I when I first selected this one, you know, I was like skimming through it and I just landed on a lot of the black metal parts. You know, I, I, mm -hmm. I crossed a couple dungeon synth sections, but I was like, I guess those are just interludes or something. No, they're actually a, a really important part of this stuff. And when I realized that <laughs> that was what I was in for when I sat down and listened to the whole thing, I was almost dreading it. But I think I was pleasantly surprised by how well this hangs together and how kind of unique it is amongst, like, the Atmo Black contemporaries. Yeah, so, I mean, honestly, man, anytime you see a cover like this, you can basically assume it's Dungeon Synth. Um, like, <laughs> I, like, this is just a sort of uh, a rather nice-looking, a sort of pencil, rather pencil sketch of a rather nice-looking, probably kind of later type of castle. Um, it's, uh, this is just, I mean, you know, there's obviously castle black metal too, but there's a very distinct feel to a lot of the Dungeon Synth stuff. Sometimes I expect something to be like really medieval black metal and I click on it and that's Dungeon Synth. Um, but, um, <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like reaching orgasm at the point of the porn where it goes to the guy's face. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Well said. So um so yeah, I mean and there's just a lot of this sort of dungeon synthy there there's stuff like this now, but like I don't think we have the frame of reference to really like distinguish it from a number of things. Um uh well, but it's, like Well it's interesting because now it's um what like kind of like what I was saying when I introduced this record, this seems to be getting more interest from dungeon synth people rather than black metal people, which is just weird to say because dungeon synth originally really was ambient side projects of black metal guys. Like, oh, I, it's completely bizarre yeah. that it is an independent world now. Um, it's, it's so and, fucking uh, weird. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, yeah, I think we, we could, we could shit on dungeon synth for a long time, but um, I think like the interesting thing is that, uh, yeah, you might as well acknowledge it's an offshoot of black metal and have the black metal parts. Um, so as far as my pre-listing biases, uh, you know, it is, as you say in your, in your notes, uh, strongly influenced by Caledon Brood, which I think is not good. Uh, however, it, uh, they called, he called his previous EP Nolder and Halls. Uh, good. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, uh. With that evened out to zero, right? We will, you know, proceed unbiased. So, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I guess my general thought is, uh, you know, uh, dungeon synth as a genre is is cursed by Morgoth himself, and although his curse holds some power here, uh, I think it really changes over the course of the record. And I found myself really liking everything from the disunion of Idane on. Although I think also the intro, which you sampled is, is pretty cool too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think this is, um, I, I think this is us finally coming to terms with 
Okay, so we've got an aesthetic bias against Dungeon Synth, but... I mean, like any genre of music, great or small, there's always something to dig out of it. And I think this guy's skill is in... Digging out what is unique to Dungeon Synth and separating it, at least to a large degree, from the stuff that makes a lot of Dungeon Synth bad. Um, I, I think part of it is just a a resistance to the most kind of like sugary fantasy melodies. I mean, you get that occasionally, but for the most part, this does have a. You get those on dark. the first. You get. You get those on tracks two and three for sure. Yeah, um, you do. Yeah, but then uh, yeah. you know he he tries to stick with darker melodies, and moreover, I, I think there's really interesting structural ideas at play with the way he's breaking between the black metal and dungeon synth parts. So, um, as an example of that, let me do something off the uh, the first track. Uh, this is called uh, "A Star Raised in the Sea." And you're going to get some dungeon synth, and you're going to get some black metal. And the way he joins them together, I think, is super interesting. I think it goes without saying that the power of the black metal parts for this band compared to others in the same scene is just the, the sheer rawness and force of it. I think that's an important thing. Yeah. So Dungeon Synth should be raw analog electronics, right? Or primitive mm -hmm. digital. Primitive digital that doesn't sound cutesy. Too cutesy, right? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, and this definitely has that, and it works well with the raw black metal tone. Um, I like that kind of scowling, um, kind of a descending keyboard line before there. Uh, that has a a cool uh, 
you know, um, 90s video game slash history documentary quality. Um, uh, well, it's also like, uh, it's also sped up skepticism, so. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I See, there I hear the skepticism comparison. Yeah, um, I think that a lot of the better, like, dungeon synth or dungeon synth adjacent stuff is, because I think that summoning, to a large part, is pulling from, like, Funeral Doom as much as it is black metal. Interesting. Yeah, that... Yeah, that that, that, that makes some sense to me. Um, uh, but... But yeah, also it's it's very pretty seamless integration. It really drops very suddenly. There isn't any um it drops suddenly, but it's continuous with the melodic idea that led into it. So there's no sort of like okay, we need to quiet it down and then we start the black metal part and there's also no sort of dramatic shift. Uh so the black metal part is pretty integral to the song and kind of works as a payoff. It's like shit, this is hype. Um yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, I would contrast that with another Dungeons and thing I think is really good as, as far as like very high end dungeon synth, um, moon and Azure shadow, which is something that our, our, our boy at repose sent us uh, a while back. Um, he's got, uh, his record age of darkness and frost. It has black metal parts on it, but basically what it is, is like fully developed, like kind of nasty dark throne black metal that comes into the song the the music at like cinematic intervals mm-hmm. like so it's less of a sort of continuous atmospheric flow and more like of a strongly sort of film score quality so you've got this elaborately orchestrated dungeon synth by somebody who's probably you know kind of has a sense for like like composition um and then you get uh you get these black metal parts this is way more like Instead of being dungeon synth and black metal, this is much more dungeon synth black metal. Yeah, I I think you hit on something there, which is I think the best uh, <clears throat> the best dungeon synth does tend to resemble a soundtrack a lot more than a metal song, which again is sort of like listening to Stormcrow Fleet, where those sound like the the soundtracks to like uh, forgotten Kurosawa movies. <laughs> more than they do metal songs, you know? Slowly um, paced movies, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, but actually, probably the closest thing in, like, the summoning milieu that this is to is a really forgotten project called Kinstrife and Blood. Uh, they, Which is a very he, cool name. Yeah, Kinstrife and Blood. Um, he only did one record. Uh, let me take a look. When was that? Yeah, it was in 2006. Uh, it's an Australian dude. Uh it's actually, uh, he apparently he's in, uh, Drowning the Light, so there's that, so mm-hmm. <laughs> he's the, uh, he's the, uh, newer member of Drowning the Light. Um, right. and that is very interesting because it sort of, it, it scoops Dungeon Synth on a lot of its aesthetics. Like, you can, you can tell that it's supposed to be a summoning worship project, but it has this, like, grumbling, even cheaper quality to it. I have to be in a very particular mood for it, but it's super interesting. Uh, I, how is dun- summoning not dungeon synth? Uh, like, I, 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 one of our friends refers thinks of summoning as a martial industrial band, which I kind of get, but they're just not structured like black metal songs. And if you look for like, they're extremely not riffy, 
right? The hooks are built around these, like... I list, I finally listened to a full summoning album a while back. I was going to tell you, <laughs> and I, I really liked it. Um, but, you know, like, the hooks are, like, just, like, this, you know, enormous dwarven sing-along chorus that comes out of nowhere, right? Or something like that. Oh, uh, uh, I think... <laughs> I think as a band, summoning is kind of a Rorschach test because I like to... I also like to think of them as a a sort of very doomy, like, traditional heavy metal band, in a way. Um, like, the uh, the very, like, deepest parts of something like Doom Sword, or, you know, the very doomiest parts of something like Mana War, in a yeah, lot Yeah, it's got these very primary color melodies that are different, and very simple harmonizations that are different from black metal, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which a lot of people who do not have their compositional skill imitate to fatal effect. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah. You have to, you have to have a very, uh, a very fine hand to paint with those colors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you want it all to be like ones and fives and fours, right. You know, uh, <laughs> right. But anyway, so, uh, or I suppose in doing this, it's really like, duh, 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 you know, one, seven, five, uh, but, um, so this is the disunion of Idain. This is, I mean, there's definitely a story happening here. I think this is some Silmarillion shit, right? This is about the, you know, uh, seems to be the collapse of the kingdoms of men into, uh, you know, uh, into down to the time when the men are, the you know, the nine kings are seduced by, by Sauron, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you get, uh, this is a sort of plot turning point, I think. Uh, and let's, this does a similar kind of transition thing to what you just showcased in a really, really cool way. Yeah. 
It's funny that you chose that section because I think like the (laughs) the first half of that sample is some of the most plainly Caladan brood influenced stuff there. That may be, um, but that part pulled it off very well. I thought at the very beginning of it, it was. um, I was like, "That's a good example of like the primary (coughs) color melodies being done right." And then I thought what really got me on the was the second riff where you get that he introduces this melody like and that could be come in as a really kind of bright sort of celebratory melody but instead just through sort of simple stuff he's doing with that in relation to the bass um it gets a lot of harmonic depth and it sounds super epic and like grim and sad mm-hmm. um you know it, it it gives it a kind of like a descending part i feel like i don't hear things like that as much in caladan brood i feel like uh, uh yeah no i mean caladan brood is much brighter overall for, for the listeners uh this I think this is one of the very few places where we completely disagree because I'm like a giant Caladan Brood fan. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. We've been going back and forth about that record for years. <laughs> I just, I yeah, I gave it a try recently. I just don't get it, but I did try summoning after it, and I did like that. Um, hmm. So uh, interesting. Yeah. So um. So yeah. So this is a really well done kind of just yeah classical dungeon synthy part. But um, then it drops into that chorus bit where the fact that these are have something to do with black metal songs hits, and you get just this awesome chorus stuff. So you get this sort of uh, tr- more triumphant chorus with just really you know uh, really bleak lyrics and and uh, good good rasp. And you know he goes the died kings of man. Like, yeah. <laughs> um. And, yeah, uh, no, he's, he's he's got a good grasp. You know, that, of, and the black metal part. Oh, he's just. Uh, I was just gonna say he's got a really good grasp of you know how to make a moment impactful, how to make a drop really work. That's true, and I think in something like this, that is really important. Um, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, if it's not riff-driven music, having a gift for things that. Um, might be easy to dismiss as pop devices like hooks is actually really important yeah yeah um it's uh but yeah and then you know it gets that you know we get a quiet part and then we get a really pretty solid black metal section with good use of the keys right at the end that was like that was it wasn't just sort of textural kind of you know hit hit one note and blast thing there was there was a solid solid kind of elegant black metal riff there yeah Cool. So, um, and yeah, okay, yeah. So I'm gonna give you the uh, the last part. So now we will go uh, deeper into the darkness with uh, nine rings. Um, this is a long sample, uh, and I'll explain to you why I especially like it afterward. Uh, but uh, you're just gonna listen to it.
<laughs> That's a uh, that is interesting because it, <laughs> you know we're inclined to call this song a a dungeon synth song just because of the record it's on, but <laughs> no, this just actually sounds like good dark ambient. Exactly. So that's one of my major things that I always think is sort of a a problem built into, a very difficult to surmount problem built into Dungeon Synth, which is that it's it's either this sort of side project-y outgrowth of black metal, right? You've got, you know, the the masterful original albums by, you know, Mortis and Varg, right? Um, Or it becomes this kind of like... uh, lo-fi electronic music right sort of primitive digital electronics made by people who don't listen to electronic music Mm -hmm. like uh so it's ends up in this kind of neither here nor there territory where they're they're not very good at taking advantage of the resources that electronics offers them they're not familiar with how to i don't know create compelling sound palettes in that way they don't Uh, they don't know how to shape songs around the new medium yes yeah they're all people who live you know the classics the classic dungeon synth stereotype although i think there is some i'm probably less like this now but back in the day you had a dungeon synth project if you either a couldn't play guitar or b you lived in a place where you had neighbors right Mm mm-hmm You'd get like a Cassie, you'd get your keyboard, or you'd mess around on your on, on MIDI or whatever. And it makes sense. But yeah, it, traditionally it's been people whose ears are shaped by metal and video game music trying to make these like extended ambient compositions. And it just often goes really wrong. Well, yeah, but, because uh, <laughs> they're still operating within like a, like a riff format. And if you want to make this kind of music and make it effectively, you have to abandon that as the central figure of the music yes it is not yes this is not riff uh yes indeed um so so yeah so that's what's cool you can hear that maybe if this guy does you know probably listens to like you know uh dark ambient and stuff are you know related genres like ritual industrial or drone all of which stuff i really like right um and if he doesn't it sounds like he does which is just as good right um Mm -hmm. but um uh you know it especially reminds me of i I played on the show a few weeks back i played a record by uh a british group from the early 90s called endura or Mm -hmm. spelled endvera with a with a v um this sometimes sounds like that like sort of uh surprisingly good droney moments that are just made on you know like cassie or whatever right yeah well the uh the this guy is also good at uh because obviously part of the fixation with dungeon synth is on the the cheapness of the sounds um Mm -hmm. and which is (laughs) sort of like aesthetically cool inherently but the the problem is, uh, you know, it, it's sort of like going back to, uh, you know, you go back to Transylvanian Hunger. You know, they talk about how, you know, we didn't we didn't go to a good studio and make it sound bad. We went to a bad studio and tried to make it sound as good as possible. Mm-hmm. Same goes for early 90s uh, computer RPG soundtracks. They were trying to make as full-fledged as possible 
music out of the extremely limited synth and computer resources they had available. Yes, yes. And that's that's what's happening here. He's trying to make something very complete sounding out of these like deliberately restricted um uh, like instrument options he's selecting for himself versus other dungeon synth guys who are like oh i've got this really expensive you know uh like digital audio software and i'm just going to put tape hiss over it and use deliberately bad samples. I mean, people yeah. use pre-packaged samples. You can just, like, buy Dungeon Synth sample packs that basically, you know, they have pre-composed riffs in them. Oh, man, what fucking world are we living in now? I mean, or I'm pretty sure they do have pre-composed riffs in them. And, you know, it's just, yeah, you can buy all your sounds. Um, but, um... Yeah, so this is this is cool. It has it has some integrity to it. It has genuine feeling. It has some kind of ugly and weird parts, uh, and you know, also with that working within deliberately self-imposed restrictions, trying to make something good. It's a little bit like what Celine Vaholan and were doing with song structure. Right? Yeah, it's it's what a lot of good black metal bands do in general. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And uh, speaking of black metal, just to wrap things up, I want to go to the final track on this record, uh, Imlad Morgul. Uh, so, like, kind of like I was saying with the first sample, what makes the black metal parts of this so good is how extreme it is. I really like the the crazy like machine gun blast beats. And uh, what we're going to hear here is sort of like the same sort of transition we've heard a couple times uh, in previous samples that we've played, but sort of in reverse. Now we're, we're dropping from this incredibly aggressive, almost too aggressive for the style of black metal, into this very subdued kind of synth pad world. Uh, and I think that the sort of blocky, almost awkwardness of something like this is... It's almost an asset to the band. He's he's making a style out of these abrupt, dramatic transitions that suggest that he's got a little bit more of an actual background in, you know, classical or classical adjacent music than a lot of these guys do. Well, he's certainly got an ear for it. That's really the fundamental thing. It's just like, do you know how it sounds? So many people who play... I mean, this happens with black metal riffing too, right? But, like, especially when it goes in the more sort of epic pagan direction. But it's like, do you have an ear for how classical or folk melody sounds? Even if you're just getting it from the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, Imlad Morgul. Right, let's go.
I know you wrote in the notes that you think <clears throat> some of the like really drastic like harmonic shifts sound kind of random, but I think that's part of the appeal to me actually is that it it oh. it, it has that drama of like Russian classical music with like very angular kind of uh, sudden key changes to it, it, it's very operatic in a way that I like. Yeah, I was kind of referring to like, well, and yeah, although I mean, the point with that stuff is that it's not actually random, but like, yes, this is a way of getting there. Um, mm -hmm. I, I actually thought about that when I wrote and decided I rescind it. You know, I basically agree with you. How about this? I would way rather hear some kind of random key changes or like random note choice in guitar riffs. I think I was hearing like weird shifts within the riffs. I would way rather hear that, which you could also just think of as like death metally, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd way way rather hear that than the usual sort of uh, um, canned epic melodies, right? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, yeah. no. One one of the things that makes this interesting is the fact that the black metal is so gnarly. It is pretty gnarly, yeah. Yeah, and I think that I think that's a really interesting direction. For Dungeon Sense to go, and you know, th this is where I'll I'll acknowledge my ignorance. Maybe there's guys already doing that a lot, and we're just so out of touch with that side of the scene, we don't know. But I haven't really heard a guy go for the throat in terms of like just like something so raw and aggressive, contrasting. Uh, with the with the dungeon synth stuff, and I think that it goes so far to kind of temper and provide like a really welcome contrast to some of the most kind of indulgent fantasy melody stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it really works with the narrative quality of it, and it it doesn't sound, but it doesn't. The music doesn't sound. I feel like the transitions don't feel fully dependent on the idea that there's some abstract narrative out there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you make music that seems sort of like, oh well, this is just the soundtrack to a thing that doesn't exist. Then the question is, well, why didn't you just make the thing that doesn't exist? Um, <laughs> where so like they have to also work in a maybe not a conventional songy way, but in a musical way and. Uh, the blending, I think, is is pretty skillful. Uh, and, you know, like, there are clearly, you know, or something like uh, Disunion of a Dane is pretty much a song. Right? Yeah. There are, it's also worth noting, she describes it as rune-covered fantasy black metal. So, hmm. to to him, this is not typically a dungeon, not necessarily a Dungeons and Project at all. And I should also, like, at the bottom of the band camp, it suggests that there are actually two members to this project, which is surprising for something of this vein. Yeah. No, I think um, I think this is interesting. I, I don't think this is f totally fully developed yet, but <clears throat> I do think there's, like, real substantial promise to this music. 
And I think I'm going to go back and keep checking on this guy. Uh, just because this has sort of ignited in me a tentative interest in this side of the scene. Because it's like, I found this kind of at random, and now it's like, you know, what else might be hiding out there? You know, what else have we been overlooking that we probably need to check out? Yeah, well, it's definitely a thing happening now. Um, and uh, like you said, in anything, there will be some good stuff. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I approve of this, and, um, you know, I'll probably I'll listen to it again, I think.
back for round two after uh, some Moon and Azure Shadow. Uh, that is the title track from Age of Darkness and Frost. And we were, we were, I was, I mentioned it before uh, in our in our segment on Grimold uh, as an example of really well done dungeon synth by a guy who, it, you know, seems to be like trained in composition. Uh, and he also cites like anime soundtrack as an influence, but this is a really good record, um, actually immersive and extremely dramatic. Got the, all these great swirling melodies, um, and it has a beautiful cover. Um, there's several different versions of the cover, but if you get the uh, the Digibook version in particular, I think it is just a, a really wonderful cover that primes you for it in the way that the best dungeon synth covers do. Um, so highly recommended out on repose records into the episode or the segment. Yeah. The thing, <laughs> the thing that we're doing the show. Yeah. That thing. Um, so pupil slicer mirrors, man, it's, it's almost like the, <laughs> I only realized after the fact that it was like the two albums I chose felt like they were almost antagonizing you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, no, uh, I actually chose this one because, uh, ironically, uh, given what I was talking about up front, uh, I found this on the Cave Dweller Music, uh, group, and mm -hmm. I just thought the name was interesting, and I gave it a listen, and I was like, ooh, I really like this, and I bet the black metal guy is gonna have a really aggressively conflicted feelings about it, so I, mm -hmm. I figured it'd be, uh, it'd be good to talk about. So, Pupil Slicer, uh... It's a, uh, a a British band, and well, kind of like we were saying up front, we kind of need to develop a term for this kind of ultra-modernist metalcore. Um, I mean, you can tell how this is very far back in its lineage, derived from stuff like Converge, and especially later on the mathcore people that would take the the most technical parts of Converge and make a, a style based around that completely. Um, they were almost kind of, they were almost kind of simultaneous. Um, yeah. Sort of like Matt Converge was almost like Converge has always been a sort of band that incorporates a lot of things that are going on. And I think like they were like, they might've been putting out records before the math core thing became huge. But I feel like, I feel like on Jane Doe they were innovating, but they were also kind of simultaneous with this general trend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Just like hardcore, hardcore history. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Technical abrasive hardcore has always been a thing, but I think we're seeing um, <clears throat> we're seeing a real expansion on it. And moreover, uh, I, I would say that you know the easiest way to think about this music is within the context of mathcore, but in a broader sense, there is a sort of different kind of modern hardcore or metalcore happening right now. Uh, and there's less technical sides to this music, because, for instance, something we both talked about is, as a reference point to this, in a very abstracted way, is something like Knocked Loose. And in, in something like Knocked Loose, you can hear you can hear the progression from beatdown hardcore to it, but it's also got it's it's got a vibe to it, a sort of internet music vibe 
that most of the beatdown bands don't really have. And it's hard to put my finger on exactly oh, what that is. interesting. So you'd group them, actually. I was going to say, like, this is, as far as new kinds of metalcore, you've got the beatdown stuff, and then you've got this more sort of uh, fractured, uh, grindy stuff. Um, and I would have grouped Knocked Loose with the beatdown bands, but you're right that it is something kind of... Uh, from the little I've heard of them, I've heard them mostly through you. The little I've heard, it, they do have that kind of genty tone, right? Yeah, a genty tone, Which, kind of a. It's like it. It's it's ugly, but not in the. It's not heavy in the way most beatdown bands are, even though it's very heavy. It's 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 heavy, kind of in the way that like, uh, humanity's last breath is. Like the heaviness is coming from the negative space, you know. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think I hear what you mean. Um, but yeah, so, I, we'll have to. There might be names for this that we just don't know. Um, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but um, let's see. What is what does the Bandcamp bio say? Uh, chaotic hardcore. Okay. Death grind. Not really, but there's certainly death grind riffs in there. Uh, math grind. None of these are particularly satisfying. <laughs> Yeah, well, I also don't. You see, I don't read. I this mean, chaotic hardcore seems pretty accurate. Yeah, I also don't see this as particularly grindy. I mean, it's grindy insofar as it's it's partially descended from like what I've called white belt grind. You know, the, yeah, the kind of grind. Yeah, uh, screamo grind, kind of like some of the techie grinds, stuff like uh, as the sun sets. You know, some forgotten bands like that. Um, but so, well, let's just get into it. What, what's your overall impression <laughs> of People uh, Slicer? I think this is uh, perfectly solid music that I dislike. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say that this. Um, I, 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 it scans to me as kind of like, as you say, this is on prosthetic. This scans as kind of like the big festival or year end list kind of version of this sound. Uh, and it reminds me a lot of Code Orange. Um, oh, yeah. I would say the most obvious immediate predecessor to this is Code Orange, which has almost nothing to do with how the songs are composed. But like, Code Orange tends to move at like, more crushing slow tempos or more conventionally like hardcore aggressive tempos it's not doing this sort of clippy clippy the the sort of quasi grind thing this band's doing with like clippy constant change-ups um and lots Mm -hmm. of blasting right like code orange is sort of big and heavy uh and uh but there's the same kind of like high tech extreme music pastiche vibe. There are similar mm-hmm. tones. Um, there's a similar aesthetic to all their visual stuff. Kind of. I mean, they not they're not aiming for scary in the way Code Orange is, right? But um, mm-hmm. uh, and so my yeah, my thought was basically like this is my if you're a teenager and you're starting to get into this newer hardcore stuff from Code Orange, you might go either to stuff like Knocked Loose or more just straight-up beat-down bands on the one hand, uh, or you might go to something like this. Um, so is this, a, is this a clean white t-shirt hardcore? <laughs> oh, for sure. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, Very yeah. T-shirt. Yeah, good use of the good use of the hardcore uh, hardcore political compass. <laughs> All right. Um, well, so I think I, I I think I can say I, I do like this a lot more than you, mm-hmm. and I think part of it just comes from uh, just kind of past experience um, because I. I kind of got into hardcore before I even knew I did with mathcore stuff. Um, like when I was a young teenager, I heard Calculating Infinity by the Dillinger Escape Plan, and I fell in love immediately. I, I thought it was so fucking cool. And what's funny is I didn't really associate it with hardcore at the time. You know, I was a metalhead, so I associated it with just like, oh, this is like a really technical metal band. I knew in some like abstract way it was connected with hardcore, but I didn't really read it like that because I was young. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I am... Uh, I, d- I did that, but the opposite way around. I would hear metal that I liked and just define it as punk because I was committed to not liking metal. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just like... <laughs> I'm imagining some like completely contorted version of that where you're putting on you're putting on yeah you got like one cent from the golden hall playing it's like man this hardcore band is really weird but i kind of like it (laughs) um but yeah so i i I guess uh i've just i got that acquired taste for this sort of thing so early on it's carried forward which is interesting because as i've gotten older I've kind of balanced out because like when I was younger, I was really into, you know, tech death and kind of technical music. And then the pendulum swung completely to the other direction. Um, And I just really got obsessed with super primitive, strident, rigorous stuff. Um, And now I've kind of balanced out, but I like, uh, you got to remember that when, when this stuff was coming up, like a lot of the math core and a lot of like tech death and everything, it was extremely clean that was kind of the point of it was like the, the clinicality of it. Mm-hmm. And now hearing that sort of musicianship and that sort of songwriting style with this deliberately abrasive kind of uh, dirty sound to it still has a lot of novelty for me. And uh, I don't know. I think this just, this is a record that hits on sounds that I like mm-hmm. uh, in a way that's probably more compelling for me than you. I heard this is very clean sounding. Hmm. Um, maybe in a different way from, uh, it's got that kind of like processed inorganic tone, right? But like, mm-hmm. if, you know, sectioned or somebody is using that tone as a weapon, here the tone is more, strikes me as kind of bright and shiny. Maybe I'm biased by the neon visuals, you know, could be slightly. But, like, it strikes me as, like, uh, maybe it's dirty relative to Dillinger. I don't know Dillinger well at all. You know, back in high school, I would hear things, and I'd be like, this has too many notes. Um, (laughs) You know? Uh, I heard, like, the pop Dillinger album and enjoyed it. Uh, I never went backwards. Like, Miss Machine, right? That's kind of a pop record. Uh, I never went backwards. Miss Machine's kind of, like, the hinge transitional point where they started Mm -hmm. getting into this sort of, like, weird art pop meets math grind stuff. Like, I, yeah, I don't know was, what I mean. It was almost a little like, yeah, almost a little like System of a Down or something. I, I was like, literally uh, about to say, it's like System of a Down for people who are too cool for that now. Yeah, you know? or like, you know, 
a, a tray with fancier chug parts, right? But um, <laughs> you, uh, but but like, but before then, like, I, I don't really know how they sounded. I had understood all that stuff as being very chuggy. Hmm. Is it not chuggy? Uh, like calculating infinity? No. I thought it had really all. complicated chug riffs. Okay. Uh, it's it's got chug parts on it. Like now, later on, I can recognize this the the things that are kind of like abstracted hardcore breakdowns. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it was about these sort of like racing, uh, very needling, complex, uh, like tremolo and uh, spiraling arpeggiated arrangements. Uh, it's pretty distinct, even now. Okay, for sure. Yeah, my other mathcore paradigm is Knut, which, you know, just my buddy played me a while ago, which is more kind of massive sounding, I think, and a little more like sort of complex, these sort of like weirdly angled massive figures. I could tell that it was good, it just wasn't my thing. Yeah, but uh, I, I would say the Calculating Infinity is closer to something like uh, Psyopus, if you ever heard them. God, maybe... Maybe at some point. Um, but, uh, <laughs> anyway. Probably not. Probably not. Um, this record, though. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So, you're... So, why don't we... Um, uh, yeah, why, why don't we dive in? I think we've... I've got my first... The first sample for uh, whatever reason. Is that earlier than yours? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, this is early in the record. Uh my take would be that there are plenty of catchy and heavy parts on this record, but it's all very hook-driven. And so for me, the more aggressive, difficult parts, right, the parts that are more sort of arty, um, are just, I guess, very maybe too mathcore for me. So let's get to uh, let's get to those parts, and you'll hear what we've just been talking about. curious when you're talking about um hook driven are you like specifically referring to that sort of like weird warbled clean vocal part that for sure is a part um the record starts off with kind of like a uh one of these kind of uh post-ironic 90s alt kind of riff there's a lot of post-ironic 90s alt stuff on this which uh, <laughs> i have no time for um uh but um 
there, you know, there's some sort of like kind of like really ignorant Pantera riff on this, but it's they're not fully committing to it. It's just a gesture, so you can tell that's kind of candy. It's a hook. Um, like obviously, I'm okay with really ignorant Pantera riffs, right? Or Earth AD riffs, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But there's some sort of like, um, but uh, there's uh, yeah, yeah, the sort of the sung thing for sure, and I think just these like little other sort of catchy moments that are designed to jump out. We'll see if I can get some more of them after, um, you know, as we, as we go. I'll see if I can find some more. But um, I get you. But like, so what I will say about that one is like the last sequence, the last three riffs I liked a lot. Um, mm-hmm. You get this. Obviously, I like the part where the guitarist is just doing this sort of sustained screech thing, right? The oh right? yeah. Um, and then um, you get this sort of racing descent from it, sort of scrambled signal racing descent, and then you get a sequence of a more somewhat more techie breakdown, and then just a super big beatdown. That's all sick. That reminds me of Sectioned. Um, I definitely like this band most when they sound more like that. There is a, uh, with, you know, Sectioned with more notes, right? But uh, Oh, well, in I, that I, section, I have no doubt Sectioned is a, a big influence here. I think it's I was actually the, it's, listening to, uh, I was listening to the Sectioned album on my commute back home today, actually. That's become a, a regular play for me. Awesome. Glad to hear it, man. Yeah, nothing like that. Sometimes when I can't, you know, when the, uh, when I can't stir my body, I listen to that in the morning just to get my sort of stress. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so this works a lot. Like, so those parts that have some continuity in the disorder, right? Lots of rapid change ups, lots of notes. It's kind of flashy, but in a really fun way, like, look what we can do. Here we go. Right. Um, the stuff before then, it just doesn't add up to anything for me. And the, the clean vocal hook stuff. Yeah. It's, uh, on its own, is it a great vocal hook? No, it's there to be that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get that. I, I think I am. Uh... Those are sorts of things that were in arty early two thousands hardcore, which are why I don't know anything about arty early two thousands hardcore. <laughs> I get you. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, I I think the sort of scrambled, like cut and paste thing. Is just something I'm I'm pretty used to in like mathcore kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll hear that on Dillinger. You'll hear like uh, you know crazy series of angular riffs, and then you know fill into like jazzy bass driven part. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that's um, it's definitely demonstrative, but I think. I think it's been done so much, it's actually almost been codified as part of the style. You know what I mean? No, no, I, I get it's a feature of the style. That that stuff is... Yeah, I, th- I think... Th- I guess what I mean is, like... Like, uh... I think the part that... Th- I guess what I mean is those parts don't... Like, I like the parts that work like hardcore... Or like yeah, they have I some physical, some physical momentum to them, and some some uh, heft. Uh, sectioned right uses these kinds of techniques, but fundamentally they're writing kind of like hardcore songs, right? They, yeah, they're grinds. You're supposed to fight people in the pit to section songs. Yeah, it, it grinds, it noises, it freaks out. There are flashes of technicality. It's choppy, 
but they basically work like hardcore songs. There's this sort of flowing momentum. That sort of deliberately super choppy stuff, I just, it doesn't, like, I can't feel it. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, I, I think I understand. Um, I, I, you just want the, you just want this to be an honest, an honest band. You know? Good honest hardcore band. Yeah, it, it, mean, it, it ain't much, but it's good honest work. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, so actually, one of the that track you picked, uh, Lapel uh, La David, is uh, one of the video tracks. It's like one of the big singles. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the heart of this music lives in uh, the shorter songs. Uh, there's hmm. there's a span of them, like right after Lapel de Vide, there's a run of four uh, shorter tracks that I think are the parts that I'm most interested in, where it's just it's pretty pure sort of math core derived stuff. Um, so let's just listen to a whole track because it's just like two and a half minutes. It's called Worthless. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason in particular to sample this track, but I think it's an example of sort of holistically all the stuff that I do really like about this music. While that was playing, I was I was reading some of the micro reviews on Bandcamp, 
I and was I think I, that too, but uh, I think I much better understand your resentment for this stuff now. Because <laughs> for me, and this is getting kind of meta, but when I listen to this stuff, for me, this is the kind of Brooklyn art kid music I like. You know, um, mm-hmm. this is purely demonstrative music to me. This is. Fuck, we're really good at our instruments. Let's do something really deliberately obnoxious and noisy with just cool rhythmic configurations and interesting kind of uh, dissonant melodic ideas. It's 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 purely just a, a work of craft within a certain paradigm, and I think it's a really executed, really well executed within that paradigm. Mm-hmm. But watching people. Um, talk about this and respond to it as though it is like powerful, energizing body music. Hardcore does not make any fucking sense. And I now get it. I like the Brooklyn art kid music side of this, but the nightmare begins when Brooklyn art kids think this is hardcore and then think they're tough for listening to this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you see you see the issue. It's um I get it. Yeah. I mean, this track did have more continuous groove than even the first one I sampled. Like this is one of the better ones, and I think often sometimes I pass over like if I go to sample or something, like I'll grab the longer tracks. So it's mm-hmm. good that you grabbed it's 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 good that you with your sort of grind grind ears you you went for some of the shorter tracks this was this is solid right there were parts of it that kind of swarming lead thing i didn't find it particularly pleasant to listen to but it was certainly impressive and dramatic uh and i liked that you know the choppy chug breakdown that you know uh the choppy oh yeah that's that's very knocked loose I liked that a lot. Okay, is that... Okay, and you know, in terms of mm-hmm. you referencing like Russian classical music a while ago, it's also very Rite of Spring, right? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, you know, that that's cool. That is... <coughs> that particular riff is heavy and physical to me. Um, but yeah, in, in general, just like... I was thinking as I listened through that one, I was like, I can basically get into the whole track. It's just like... I would rather get into another track. Oh yeah, no, I, I get it. It's a, it, it's, yeah, it's it's aesthetically repugnant to you. <laughs> it, it, it's too yeah yeah. It's um, you know I'm in some sense I in some sense I'm the problem, right? I just want something more repetitive. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I I, so, I totally get yeah, it where you're coming from. Yeah. And the the thing is, I, I, here's one of the distinguishing features: is like mathcore or this kind of arty hardcore or whatever you want to call it is probably much better when you exist outside of that scene and you don't have to be around those people all the time like you've been. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair. Um, I can just listen to it, you know? Yeah, so... Um, collective Unconscious. This is toward the end. Uh, this is, I guess, another one of the longer tracks. And so my thought on this was like... Right, okay, there had to be, like, the slow, catchy, emotional number, Right. Mm-hmm. And it's in keeping with the cultural signal here, right? So yeah. that that had to happen. Um, but I think, like, given that I can't... That, that some of the parts that are more sort of... Uh, more sort of uncompromising are just parts I can't really get my hooks in. Um, 
this is sort of one of the things I enjoy most. I'd say that, like, this is a six-minute song. I'd say this starts out really strong and interesting for kind of for what it is. Uh, it kind of goes off the rails the way through, and we'll sort of fade out about when that's happening. But um, at the beginning, it's pretty... There's a cool concept here, which is sort of like, what if the cure but metallic hardcore... <laughs> so let's listen to the begin of uh beginning of collective unconscious. It's so funny talking about a record like this with you because this track is one where I was actually rolling my eyes at it. <laughs> well, yeah, it really goes there. So at the end, when the blast, you knew, like, I, I thought through most of this record, I thought, well, one thing I can say about it is thankfully there's nothing blackened here. Right. Mm. And then once the blast take off, you're like, oh, God, here we go. Um, and so then you can literally just hear the guitarist searching for intervals. Like yeah. the guitar sounds lost at that point when we're when there's doing riffs and solo type stuff and you can hear that you know it's just 
you know, it's just a different style and you've got to or, you know, it's, it's its own techniques with its own kind of phrases, right? I mean, I, I you could do it in a screamo blasty way too, but it's it's neither of those things, right? Um, yeah, I, I think but, for me it's like, oh, now go ahead. But before then, there was kind of a cool thing where they were moving at this kind of like taut lower mid tempo. They had like a kind of one of those kind of like heavy alt rock riffs at the beginning. And then they were doing this sort of like, taut mid-tempo vibe where the you know the the bassist gets to sort of like come to the front a bit right it's written really like a goth song and you get this constant sort of uh you know the glistening arpeggio stuff with uh lots of chug too um and the vocal performance here i think is much better than all the rest of the record uh like it and it, partly because it's the space in the music right it's allow it's able to come to the front right yeah but but, like, you know, putting the chug together with the arpeggios is cool. I mean, in some sense, I mean, you know, way, way different uh, place in music. But, you know, Amoebix also does that. Chug and chug and gothy arpeggios, right? And mm-hmm. then, like, they they go down into this sort of this release. And I realize, oh, God, they're playing New Dawn Fades. But, like, like... Uh, yeah yeah they're just uh you know um but uh i you know i buy that that's cool i mean there's like a whole band there that i would be i think more into than this uh but you know no i get it i i think for me this one was just like I mean, I was the same as you. It was like, uh, that it's going to happen at one point. You know, the big fucking, the big fucking emotional track's going to happen. And I was like hoping mm-hmm. that it wouldn't. And then it did. And I was like, fuck, come on. Can we not? Can, can we just have some, some goddamn honest dissonant math core here without having to like get in touch with ourselves? But, you know, I guess, like yeah. you said, it's, I mean, it's, it's one of the tropes of this kind of. I, I guess not style of music, but this scene, you know, the, 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 the kind of quality of it, doing the kind of thing that you think you are supposed to do to create an arty record. Right. The, um, the kind of person who is really into all the bands like this needs it. They really need it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> all right. So well, let's, um, let's wrap it up with one where we, we bring it back to, uh, talking about Knocked Loose, um, who are a band that we probably need to talk about more on the show because I think that they're one of the people alongside Code Orange who are trying to, in their own way, create a blend of kind of the arty side of hardcore with kind of the tough guy side of hardcore. And mm-hmm. obviously they're doing it in different ways. Knocked Loose is smuggling in these very strangely patterned sort of melodic ideas within these very blunt beat down structures. Uh, but I think there's something similar at work with, uh, like I said, that, that internet sound, that highly polished kind of genty stuff. Clearly they're listening to all the stuff with, you know, dissonant high chord stabs, you know, which is like a genre of like hardcore guitar technique in and of itself. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, but here's an example of, uh, mirrors are more fun than television. And I think this is, whether you like it or not, going to be 
this this is an example of a sound that's going to, if not already is, be very important for futuristic hardcore, let's call it. Yeah, so at the end of the day, fuck it. Let's just play, like, Terror and Madball riffs, but chord them really weird. Fuck it, I'll, I'll listen to a whole album of that. <laughs> the first one wasn't even chorded that weird. Oh, yeah, but then they do, they, they kind of, like, augment the shape that they're using when it comes back. It's, uh, it's a cool effect. It's, it's one of the more, like, subtle, kind of tasteful things that happens on the record. Yeah, I, I, I felt like, um... I felt like that first big one that had that kind of yeah almost Pantera vibe is uh was like that feels too gestural to me that feels like oh here comes the ignorant riff, um but the uh the stuff after it I think I like the developments on it better when they bring back the uh they bring back a variation on that first riff that sounds mm-hmm. more like them playing it. Does that make yeah sense? yeah no oh no and I that, think that's, that's what I'm talking about that's deliberate I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that so yeah, so that is a interesting like I like that second riff, that second version a, a lot better and it seems more authentic. Yeah, I think there <laughs> well, I think there's almost like a narrative thing. It's like, okay, you've heard the old version of this riff. Now let's listen to these these cool new tunes the kids are listening to. You know, <laughs> we're going to do our own version of that. Riff. Uh, I I get what you mean. Okay, fair enough, right? And I mean everyone does we all do like those kinds of riffs. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's been forgotten, but you know, it, Pantera is secretly the most important fucking hardcore band. You know, like the 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 amount of influence those those Pantera well, records we, had on hardcore. 
Yeah, what did we find out? We basically found out that that, that all sort of predates Satisfactions of the Death of Desire. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like Pantera. Yeah, yeah. Pantera predates all the like most seminal um, hate breed stuff. Uh, mm. So does Cryptopsy. So do all these weird things where these really aggressive hardcore breakdowns were existing in other places kind of before they really appeared in hardcore in the in the way that we know them now. Yeah, yeah. But no, I think um, I I think this is for better or worse going to be a big chunk of you know hardcore going forward. I I, I think a lot of it's going to be patterned off stuff like this, <laughs> in the same way that um, kind of in the same way that like uh, you know orthodox black metal was. You know, I I think this is going to capture a bunch of people. Uh, I think they're going to get really excited by. Just how abrasive it is and how kind of crazy it is on the surface and all the kind of sudden twists and turns of the songs. And I I think that ultimately it will have positive effects on the music. You know, it's you, I may not it's not perfect in its current form, although I do like it a lot. Um, but I think this is almost a reverse McGlaw effect. Where it's like McGlaw is a an extremely good band that leads to some bad things. I think this is like an an arguably good band that will lead to better things as more people start playing with these same ideas. Hmm. And you're referring specifically to that kind of uh, beat down meets tech fusion here. Uh, yeah, I think there's or a just lot generally of... to the whole thing. I think uh, both. I think generally to the whole thing, but I I also think that it, it this is one of those albums where I can hear five different bands coming out of thirty second sections of different songs. You know, I think that's true. I mean, I think as far as like the as far as beat down tech, that's that's already on sectioned, right? I mean, that sort of fusion is already happening. Um, also, I guess as you said, with knocked loose. But um, uh, but I, I I hear what you mean. I mean, yeah, certainly. Like when I like on that last melodic song, right? I was like, uh, oh, that's a whole band, right? Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Yeah. How's it going? Connor here from Oncology, and you're listening to Terminus. All right, we're back uh, with the final record of the night, and. Uh, you know, uh, before we do these episodes, we always uh, jump on. We talk about the order that we want to do things in, like the order of the albums. We try to pair albums up or create a nice through line or something like that to the best that we can. And in this case, <laughs> thank God you put the Sylvan Van Holen up yeah. front because we are just destroying our clout on this episode today. <laughs> We got the dungeon synth stuff. We got the, we got the arty hardcore stuff, and now we've got just straight post black. You know? Yeah, I guess I guess this is the terminus, uh, terminus sort of survey of what's going on in styles we don't like. Um, <laughs> what's what are actual what are actual cool people in the world listening to? So uh, post black. Um, this is a band called Sir Trelane. Um, I, they are from, uh, the, the record is The Streetlight Was All We Needed. Uh, 
not my world's favorite title, but we're going to keep going. Um, uh, and what's interesting about this, uh, well, is, is several things. I think what pulled me in, the thing that really caught my attention was their, uh, their, their middle demo, which was, uh, which I found, I think it had already been out for a while, but I found it last spring. Um, and I probably, or sorry, middle EP, uh, and that is uh, from both our hands. And I, I'm sure I clicked for the uh, sort of uh, fainting pre-Raphaelite maiden. But uh, <laughs> but I was really impressed with what I heard there. Um, and I think, uh, I think my take on this is... Uh, There, there could be some gaps in my knowledge of what post-black sounds like right now, but to me, the, the weakness of that style, or of anything called black gaze, right, and we've talked about it on the show, has always been that these bands don't seem to listen to black metal or shoegaze. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? It's like, in fact, what it all is is a somewhat diluted version of, like, scrams, right? Mm-hmm. Right, so... uh and, you know, you were talking about that in the Cave Dweller segment. Uh, but um, this, this seems to be made by people who actually listen to shoegaze with considerable attention and who arrive at black metal effects basically by using a sort of more sort of shoegaze style guitar effects, uh, melodies, arrangements, style of playing. Uh, there's very little that I could point to a couple sort of droney parts that remind me of Drug, which I appreciate. But other than that, there's like very little like black metal parts on this record. Uh, and it seems like they've, the idea is something more like, let's produce some of that kind of spacious atmospheric kind of you know more high intensity metal effect but using only these other parts which is really different from the usual black gaze idea which is like huh hey bro did you know that like uh bursum kind of like sounds like my bloody valentine and like oh my god you just got the obvious thing that, you know, <laughs> like, both, right um Right, and so there's this like total redundancy to it, uh, where you just sort of flatten both of those things into generic ideas of what they are and combine them to add up to nothing. This seems like a much more creative uh, approach to that, um, and uh, and and yeah, let's. Uh, I, th I think it's it's doing some things uh, that I would like to hear more of in this style. So, uh, what what did you make of it? So this is. Uh... <clears throat> Uh, well, a big thing to say about this is this is a compilation of yes. three EPs. Um, and you can definitely tell some pretty substantial stylistic differences between them. Uh, so I'll get the elephant out of the room. Uh, or <laughs> I'll point out the elephant in the room, rather. It's late. Give me a break. It's a work night. Um, the first EP on this... I'm going to listen to this again and I'm going to skip over the first one because it's, it's rough. Like, uh, and that is the, uh, let's see, which one was that? It's the shade, shade. EP. There's, and there's it's one just, on there. I, well, well, yeah. So what, what struck you as rough about it? Oh, it's just, you know, it's got some of the, 
the the other two EPs are pretty nuanced and really have their own style because I think that musically this band centers in a very different place from most of this kind of post-black or black A's, what have you. Shade, on the other hand, just sounds like it just sounds like an imitation of the style. You know, it's it's just it really doesn't do anything for me. It, it's very awkward sounding. It doesn't have any of the kind of subtlety of the melodies on the other two EPs. It's just totally like against what I'm into. That being well, said, I really like the one. I really like the one track on there, which just drops into like one note bashing. Um, like that I thought was great. Like it was um, like, again, not structured remotely like black metal. It's kind of a, a hardcore death metal thing. Um, but they're doing it with these kind of pretty chords. Um, I, 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 I liked that one. I mean, that, that didn't sound like cliche post black to me. That just sounded, that sounded very different. Uh, also, I should say, this band was sort of a mutation of a Death Doom band. Yeah, which I, which you do hear a little bit in this, because uh, you can hear the you can hear the fingerprints of catatonia on this one. I was go- I was gonna say I agree there's lots of catatonia and um just also a more authentic sense, also a sense for the gothic. And the idea that shoegaze came out of that scene, initially it was difficult to distinguish them. Right, the sort of four AD yeah. label being the missing link. Well, I think that I, I think that as time has gone on, and as metalheads have branched out into other styles of music, um, there's been a <coughs> a much more developed understanding of the constituent parts of these different genres and the the kind of the the binding elements between them and how they are accessing each other in different ways. I mean, remember when we were coming up the smartest guys in the room were talking about Burzum sounding like Tangerine Dream. You know? Mm-hmm. Now it's like you have to be a dumb guy to even point that out. So, you know, everyone's <laughs> got everyone's gotten a lot more literate about music mm-hmm. in general. Um, so I think that what we're hearing now is everyone kind of now understands how black metal and shoegaze and post-rock intersect structurally you know there's a lot of similarities between those things just naturally um and now people are (coughs) kind of settling in being like okay so we know what the common points are and the dumb black gaze bands say (laughs) we'll just we're just gonna go straight up the fucking middle we're just gonna use all the ideas that all of them have which makes for music that is not here or there it has no personality it has no essence because all it is is the lowest common denominator of all these styles now a band like this on the other hand especially on those latter two eps are picking and choosing much more carefully the elements from all those things they want to incorporate and what they choose and what they leave behind results in them developing a very unique sort of sound within this style yeah, I think that's well said. You know, another thing to put on the table at the beginning is that I think what this clicked for me like today, now that we've been doing the show, the term black gaze has to be a complete journalistic invention, right? Like, <laughs> I, I am sure, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that even the, even the smug fucks in Death Heaven never labeled themselves black gaze. 
right? <laughs> um, like, this is something that, like, people at Pitchfork wrote, right? And so, in some extent, like, the fact that this stuff sounds... A lot of that stuff doesn't really sound like Shubhaze. Almost isn't even, like, their fault. Because it's somebody else making that comparison. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to talk about, you know, four... The, you know, the four big things. It was like I was saying, it was uh, it was black metal, it was uh, post-rock, it was shoegaze, and then kind of the fourth pillar would be Screamo. And yeah, I think yeah. it's interesting because the Screamo is missing off this. That's there become a very... S- there are some parts where you could identify it with it, but yeah, I also did not hear any Screamo on this really as a core idea. Yeah, which is sort of unusual. This is actually... There's actually not a lot of really post-rock either. This is like pretty pure mixture of black metal and shoegaze like this this kind of earns the black gaze tag better than almost anything else does i think it does that's what grabbed me and it makes there be a point to the fusion because you're as you say you're actually combining determinate parts of it and the whole game of like how could we make black metal songs using only non-black metal parts is really interesting um yeah but so I really feel like having listened, I've given this a couple through. I mean, I agree with you that like there is some unevenness throughout. I think hands down the middle EP is the strongest. Oh, I, I agree. Yeah. From both our hands is is really the strongest. Those are three songs. I think they're all you know, the I think the last two are better, but they all fit together really well. It's it's a that's a real statement. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely the that's the standout and Getting into samples, like we always yeah. say, if we both sample the same track, that tells you everything. You know, that tells you that's where the center of the band is. And in our case, we both sampled off of Entwined, which I mm-hmm. believe is the, uh, that's the final track off the second EP. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, my mine comes first, and then we'll get into yours. What I want to point out here is there's a couple specific things to search for lane that you know they do specifically one is really really good bass work very mature yeah. uh very intelligent kind of counterpoint melodies being played a lot of the time the bass really is the lead instrument but not in mm-hmm. an ostentatious sort of way it's just been composed in that manner which is also a lot more similar to actual uh, like post-punk than a lot of these guys imitate. Um, yes, absolutely. And then you're going to see, you're also in the sample going to hear a part which is kind of a, a slightly jazzy, uh, open, clean guitar part. Uh, extremely jazz-influenced mm-hmm. drumming, you know, cool little runs on the hi-hat and everything. And those sections, which are littered all across this compilation, I think that's where the real center of the band is, is in these very sort of open, washed-out, abstract parts. So let's, uh, let's listen to my section of Entwined.
So the the opening to that passage is the, the guitar riff itself is is fine. It's it's kind of a, a standard like Black A's are even like a DSBM riff. But what elevates it is the bass performance. That really interesting kind of like ascending line that's played under it, which yeah, I, I mean we talk about it on the show a lot, but the bass is such a forgotten instrument in a lot of extreme metal that when it comes out and people know how to use it, more importantly, it really sticks out. Because, you know, a good bass performance, an intelligently written bass line, elevates everything around it. And in this case, it it augments the kind of harmonic character of the riff and takes it from a, a good but kind of stock arrangement into something with a lot more significance, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I also got to say, I think the riff itself is really, really good. Um, I think it's like, uh, I get what you mean about it sounding stock. Um, but like, I don't know, usually when I hear stuff in this general vein, I don't hear anything that sounds that sort of passionate. Um, like, I, I get that it gets a lot of its harmonic. It could be. A different band could arrange that riff in a way that made it sound schmalt- sentimental, schmaltzy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're doing they're doing uh, some subtle it, things. They're doing some subtle things to it, like they're um, they're swinging out the note transitions a hair. You know, the the one is yeah. the big slide mm-hmm. up to the next note, which is very subtle adjustment, but it actually adds a lot of depth to it. Oh yeah, they're swinging really hard, and that's in part also the job of the drummer who mm-hmm. is, as you say, sounds like a jazz drummer. And a thing that I really appreciate about this band is that, you know, I've, I've talked on the show about how I've wanted to hear more kind of openness in BM composition. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a really good example of it. This is, um, this is not a musician-y band. They're not showing off technical proficiency, but it's very musical. This song has this wonderful swaying quality to it. Um... And uh, that riff, it kind of like sweeps upward in this uh, really gorgeous way, I feel like. Um, and then when they light into that, you get that, that broken arpeggio. Oh, well, that, that broken arpeggiated riff, you, you know what that is, black metal guy, don't you? <laughs> it's an emo riff. Well, right? it's, well no, it's an, it's an Alcest riff. Maybe, yeah. I don't. I barely know how Alcest sounds. I mean, yeah, that's that kind of thing of to be. Yeah, that kind of thing is all over uh, uh, souvenirs du autre monde, um, which is actually like a, a really yeah, we, important record to this whole style. Yeah, that record's not awful. Um, it's. Uh, I remember that being having something to it, uh, but um, uh, but I feel like the way they use it with the drop is like they're using it to create a heaviness effect um yeah yeah i get that like yeah like that's the thing that impresses me about this is that this music has a unique kind of feeling that you could only get from the synthesis which is it is light but aggressive like in this song like it's constantly sweeping forward even though like not in this not in this storming wrathful sort of pummeling or hammering or stomping way, right? 
but it's mm-hmm. got this kind of like uh you know um uh you know this kind of wind in the trees vibe uh and we got to talk about the vocals oh yeah the vocals are really nice on this i fucking love the vocals they sound like these are like uh death crust vocals like this is like those yeah. are puke vocals right the the only thing about them that makes them any different from that is the kind of whisper quality um uh it like that is pretty much the only extreme metal element in this music is the vocals like and yeah. a general sense of the scale a general sense of the scale and arrangement of the songs but mm-hmm. you know maybe the sort of emotional register they're shooting for in certain places but that's really the only thing supplying the uh the grit and I think it's really cool that they put them, they're so low and they put them so far up front. It's like, that's the sort of thing that I, if you're going to do this style, there has to be some, there still has to be some barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are a lot of people who will hear that and be like, what the hell? Like my sister <laughs> would like this band. My sister doesn't like, my sister doesn't like black metal that much. Right. But, uh, but you know, she listens to tons of sort of like stuff like shoegaze or whatever. I could play this for her, and she'd and she'd hear the vocals and be like, ah, and I could be like, no, yeah, listen, it's about the contrast. That's an immediate no. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, nope. Um, well, uh, but uh, uh, la- last up is so after that kind of Alcesty riff, that's the thing I really want to draw attention to. Mm-hmm. I just got a little clip of it in there, but when they slide into that kind of jazzy drum pattern with the clean guitar and everything, just kind of opens up and chills out. I think that, for me, is the center of this band, are passages like that, where it's sort of, it's meandering, and it's very open and spacious, but it's not not in a post-rock way, you know? It's, it is soaking in a certain atmosphere in a way that's very black metal, but like you said, not using any black metal parts. Yeah, I know. I agree that the most unique thing they do is that kind of open, uh, you know, jammy suggests it's undisciplined, but that kind of open stuff. Right. So there mm-hmm. are. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think I I mean, yes, I really like some of the, the, the melodies in here, but I agree that as far as what they're doing, that's unique. That is very unique. Um, and. Uh, you know, there are three guitarists in this band which we can talk about. But the guitars um and and in those moments like those the guitars the guitars are often working in in concert. You almost can't even hear that if you don't listen for it, you might not even realize there are 3, right? Or you mm-hmm. might not even realize there are 2. They're just layering. Um but in moments like that the guitars pull apart and whatever. Luckily, okay, this goes to my sample. I mean, let's just um this is from a minute later in the same song. So it's had a minute to like sort of fall apart, you know, they go there and now they're pulling it back together again. And you'll hear all the stuff uh, the death metal guy was just talking about.
I just really feel that riff, like, and the <laughs> vocals with it. What that like the big the big arcing one at the end. Yeah, I I, I I personally identify with this song. I like I've I like I I have the uh, I have the I know that feel, bro. <laughs> um, the a cool thing that uh, something that I, I felt about this that someone a uh, Bandcamp commenter also pointed out nicely is he said something like uh, there's a a sense of striving in the music or something. I think that was uh. I think uh, maybe I uh, is that yeah, um, yeah it, yeah it's uh the it's, music is gloomy but it's striving for something better, and uh, you could you could hear what the contrast between the vocals and the big riff at the end it really sounds like it has that quality you get in hardcore sometimes of like clawing your way upward from an abyss, right? Yeah, you so, gotta have your uh, here. There's a sense of your... kind of struggle. <laughs> you you got to have your part in the melodic hardcore song when you you look in the mirror and you realize you're you're 32 and you need to get your shit together. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and it has a it it it's not um Yeah, there's a sense of conflict and drama in the music. And I mean, then yeah, the out part. Man, that's fantastic. So that's a good part with your bass taking the lead, right? At the end there, the doom 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 doom. Oh yeah! As soon as I was listening to that whole section, I was immediately drawn to the bass again. Like uh, I think that is like one of the secret weapons of this band is just a a remarkable bass performance. And again, really good. Like that's how post punk bass sounds and shoegaze bass sounds. Right? That's just like uh, the guitars are great there too. You can hear there's a couple of them doing the sort of like delay type stuff over top but you've also got guitars like you know noise effects right scribbling mm-hmm. kind of um and then the vocals over that where he just goes Ugh. right I'm like, yes <laughs> i'm just fucking tired bro <laughs> yes yes i love exact i love vocals that sound exasperated yeah because- definitely <laughs> um but uh yeah so about the shoegaze thing, I thought maybe I'd play a um, a sample then to show people that this really sounds like shoegaze, and specifically as it was played by Slowdive. Mm-hmm. So, not with these big, dense, clustered, kind of blissed-out chords like people get. That's the sort of stereotype you get from Loveless on My Bloody mm-hmm. Valentine. Um, but this other kind that's a lot more spare, methodical. Uh, Slowdive gets subtly folk-influenced do more electronica stuff later. But at the beginning, you can really hear this stretching back to, uh, you know, early Dead Can Dance and other gothy stuff, right? Um, And uh, here you'll hear the guitars. There's a similar thing where, like, the guitar parts sound great, but if you try to explain why, it's hard to explain why it's a good riff. You know what I mean? (laughs) You'll hear some very simple guitar... And the harmonic power is all coming in from pure layering of the guitars through, like, chorus effects and multiple guitars and from the bass. Um, and there's just a single, clear... Yeah, Slowdive gets more corded later. But here, it's just these kind of lines carved in space. So uh, you'll hear it at the beginning of this. This is a, this is a demo track called uh, Summer Day. Summer Day. 
Yeah, uh, listening to that, I can definitely hear uh, a sort of connection to Neofolk, at, at least what Neofolk I've heard mostly from you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, th- that parallel is definitely there. I mean, I feel like um, the interesting, you know, you could, sure, you could hear how that the kind of sparse quality, the sort of layered, the sort of, uh, yeah, very simple guitars, sort of a uh, meditative thing. You could hear how it relates to Death in June or Current 93 or something. The funny mm-hmm. thing is, based on my what my understanding of British music history slowed, I was probably completely unaware of those bands. Yeah. Um, like th- those bands were so obscure back in the day. Like um, it's not like they didn't cross over with the rest of the music scene at all, but like it was just different universes. You have to like slow dive got on the cover of big magazines. Yeah. Um, uh, and were famously destroyed by the music press. Um, but um, <laughs> it's so weird. Very weird, you know, because but, um, because obviously because I firmly believe that, you know, uh, the uh, you know, the normie chooses loveless, but the patrician's choice is Suvlaki. Completely agree. And history has borne us out. Uh, <laughs> we, have, we have been proved right. Um, uh, so, however, so like, yeah, so this is a little like the Suvlaki stuff, like sounds more like, I guess, more rockish and more sort of like authentic folk this part is this has those kind of like that it would be very difficult to point out why that's a good riff oh, i'm sorry one of my cats is uh very eagerly playing with a cardboard box in the background so if you hear anything weird that's uh one of my precious boys <laughs> i i thought we were having audio problems but now i treasure them <laughs> well, one cat is in the box and the other is fighting to get into the box, so you know. Oh shit, Terminus Extreme Cat Podcast. Tr- true um, black metal warfare. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, box wars. Um okay, but um but like it's got that kind of sparse quality to the main riff, right? And it's getting a lot of the heft from the contrapuntal bass stuff. And then there's one other guitar sort of doing sort of drone stuff overhead. And you can hear the sort of choir effects on the guitars that are making these simple parts ring out more. Um, and yeah, that's it, a lot like what Sertraline are doing. It, it really Sertraline literally have three guitars. Yeah, it gets a lot of mileage out of the layering. Like, the, like it, it's one of those things where it's, you could basically simulate it with one less guitar just by kind of cording it, but it, it really wouldn't be the same. You'd be losing the resonance. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, basically, the songs on that EP really do kind of sound like they took Slow Dive and made kind of, a like, harsh vocal epic songs out of it. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, so I guess I've got another sample from that because I figured I'd just get it on there. I've talked this to death at this point, so I'll try <laughs> not to say too much. But this is from um, the, uh, the lovely named uh, Knowledge of Trees.
I like the way the uh, the big thrash beat really just kind of drops in out of nowhere there. Yeah, that's a great drop. I, I this is like really the only black. I think it. I think it's a blast beat. It's just a really slow blast. Oh yeah, no, no. Just the only difference between kind of the thrash beat and the blast beat is the BPM. Well, I think I think upbeat versus downbeat. Doesn't a blast lead with a snare? Uh, it depends on who's playing it, because uh, there's some guys that like to lead with the snare. Oh, the guy in the guy in um, Cryptopsy leads with the kick. Yeah, he leads with the kick. Uh, you'll you'll actually notice a lot of guys who um, are programming their their drums. They'll lead with the snare. Because it's it's a lot more audible on the one while you're mm-hmm. recording to it. Uh, it's just, but it's mostly a personal preference thing. Everyone does it different. Hmm. Well, anyway, yes, it sounds great. Um, that might be the most black metal record moment on the whole comp. Probably, like, yeah. The only thing that like one of the only things that sounds remotely like a black metal riff is just that droning sort of octave octave drone at the beginning with that kind of. Uh, chords rolling on over top that's got kind of a druid key vibe but then you start getting the you know the slow divey layer of single note guitars over top and you get your drop um and you know even yeah at the blast you just kind of that kind of works like a bm drop right yeah definitely yeah so that's another one that has that kind of wild windswept mood which i think is the thing that the unique thing this band captures uh and uh, yeah, so that's more from that EP. That EP. Uh, let's take us to the last one. All right, so uh, here's a track uh, off the final EP called "Their Cities." I think this is probably my favorite song on the comp. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and here you can, uh, on the third EP, you can hear kind of a, a another switch where they start to incorporate. Uh, there's some more, some somewhat more aggressive ideas on this one. I feel. Uh, I think the big one is on this EP, they start listening to a band that I regularly talk about on the show, which is Heaven in Her Arms, uh, which is uh, their record, White Halo, is basically my gold standard for post-black or, you know, the kind of Japanese screamo-inflected stuff. Uh, Those guys come from the... Uh, the Japanese screamo scene, but they are m- even more like black metal than most of those NV derived bands are. Uh, so you're going to hear kind of their take on a, uh, a white halo passage, like, like straight up, like mm-hmm. it's almost out of abyss of the Moonbow. Uh, but then these guys do it in a much more kind of compressed immediate way than that band would. And, there's a really cool big kind of synth-led hook part on this, and then again we start getting back into one of those chilled-out sort of jazzy clean guitar parts. It's a very dynamic section here. All right, cool. Yeah. 
So I am just the world's biggest sucker for when you you're playing the same riff a couple times, but then you've got this like giant arcing lead over it where the whole melody extends both the repetitions of the riff. Uh, hmm. It's just it, like every time one of these kinds of bands does that, I'm like, yeah, I'm a fucking a hundred percent about that. Let's do it. <laughs> So what you're saying is like you've got you have your default riff, you have your basic riff pattern, and then the you get your big lead coming over the top, and the big lead runs for two of the repetitions. Yeah, yeah, and that's something yeah. you'll hear. Uh, you'll hear a lot of the a lot of the Japanese screamo bands do that. Actually, it's like a, a technique hmm. that's almost like kind of codified by them. And Heaven in Her Arms does it constantly. It's all about you know. You've got kind of a complex rhythmic framework. You've got a, a pretty good kind of choppy riff over that. And then you've just got this this uh, lead line that's sort of like an additional riff over the top of it. But it's sort of like an into oblivion riff where it's like they're hanging yeah. on to the notes too long. And it kind of it challenges the usual pacing of a riff as we understand it. It's a very cool effect. Yeah, so you've got a riff underneath kind of juxtaposed against a fully developed melody moving on yeah. a different time frame. Yeah, yeah and it gives you uh, different harmonic opportunities because the way they intersect harmonically are going to be different, even though it's the same main riff between the first and the second half of the lead melody. Um, but <clears throat> honestly, my thing at this point is uh, one of my weird ideas about this is I really, really, really like those kind of chilled out like laid back clean guitar and jazzy drum passages. And my idea was what if what if those were the center of the music? And what if the more aggressive black metal parts were sort of bridges between those? What what if we just altered our idea of what the primary songwriting unit is? What would the result of that be? Hmm. Um well, you know, sort of like in that in in, in that one song in uh in uh entwined, it kind of is like it's literally like the center of the song. Um I yeah, that's I, I get well, I guess I don't know that I hear those parts as chilled out. Um, oh yeah. I mean I, I, I guess that's all a matter of <laughs> I, I thought it was a matter what of interpretation. Was so, what was so cool about those parts is that it sort of, I mean, yeah, sort of go, the sound goes away for a bit, but then they immediately start building and you've got this like lots of motion in the bass kind of, um, like there's kind of, um, energetic ensemble playing during those parts. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't mean chilled out in the steely dan sense of the term <laughs> okay. you know, I, I mean i mean it's like it doesn't have blasting and tremolo riffs and screeching so you yeah, know comparatively no, it's uh, chilled out <laughs> i i think I, I think i agree with you i think i agree with you i think like if you're gonna do the um you could even have vocals over it i mean when he was doing his his growls over some of those builds in the more out parts it sounded really good uh and because it's got this sort of slightly quiet for the sound thing, it won't sound like I don't know the beginning of Tiamat's Wild Honey, right? You know, it's just like yeah, uh, you know, you just drop <laughs> these hoarse death metal vocals over it. It's like, um, but uh, 
But yeah, I, I think that's right. I think the really unique stuff is the full band playing and the sort of droney out there moments. I think they could do more like that, and they could do more to blend that with the more high energy parts. Yeah, I am. Um, well, you know, blending, yeah, but at the same time, it's sort of like uh, something I've been talking about on a lot of these records today. I, I kind of like the the blockiness of this music. I, I, I kind of enjoy how intensely distinct the parts are from each other and how dramatic the switches are. And I could see more blending, sure, but I wouldn't want that element of it to be lost, you know? Yeah, no, agreed. Like, part of the big effect is those transitions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's for sure. Um, but uh, I was thinking more like move, move even further away from typical post-black kind of guitar technique. Yeah, no, I can see that. Mm. I, I think that... I think that you were kind of right at the front of this about it's like making songs that are kind of like black metal songs out of just completely non-metal parts in a sense. Mm -hmm. And I think the further they go in that direction and the more they experiment with that idea, the better. Very much agreed. Also, I think as far as mood, this might be my personal bias, but I feel like you know, that middle EP has kind of a pastoral vibe, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Feels very sort of capital R romantic in a way that some of the, the, the emotional vibe really, some of those songs just in the melodies feels yeah. kind of 19th century in a cool way. Yeah, I think um, I, I like the last EP the most, I think, because I, I like how it kind of leans into that more urban feeling. Yeah, I, I like the speed on the middle. That's another thing that I think distinguishes it for me, is that these they're not played at a fast BPM, but all of the songs feel way faster than their BPM. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but yeah, that might be our personal biases. I, I'm not I'm okay with the urban thing. Like I, I you know, that gets to the more of the catatonia thing. Um, oh, definitely. No, overall yeah. I uh I, I think I came out I, I've still got reticence towards some of the kind of like aesthetic quality of this, but I think overall I, I do, after talking it through, like this more than I did coming in, and I did like it a fair amount coming in. Yeah, well, I am very, uh, very interested to see where this band goes. Uh, yeah. And, you know, this is also an interest, this is a group of veteran people who have sort of dramatically adjusted their style right midway through and you know maybe it was a little awkward on the first demo right or the first ep and uh for another band that could come off as an attempt to stay relevant but this to me comes off as i haven't heard their death doom stuff but to me it sounds like maybe maybe this is like them finding their idea right mm -hmm. yeah i can see that yeah, yeah. Next week, we just do the same Deicide album four times in a row because we got to find a way to come back from this shit. <laughs>